Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they ever keep you in a cell? Cell. Cell. When you're not performing your duties, they keep you in a little box. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Did they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells, interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells, interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells, interlinked. Cells interlinked. All right, we're done. Constant Rob. You can pick up your bonus now. Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm a skin job. And this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with the likely most predictable episode of Cinemodities. Uh, We called it last week the Dusty Property series, in which we discussed Blade Runner from 1982. And of course, we have to jump forward to its 30 years later sequel, Blade Runner 2049. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Tune in next week, everybody, and we might give a little different name to this series based on what Zach and I have decided to do. But without further ado, we have to continue on what we thought from last week how we feel now with this new movie or relatively new movie of Blade Runner from Denis Villeneuve. Uh, We left off last week with the absolute boredom, grasping at straws, lack of content ideas that we felt about Blade Runner. And now I think we are getting to a new territory in the Blade Runner franchise. I don't know. Does two make a franchise? I don't know. Uh, With Blade Runner 2049, I, um, I just want to say right off the bat, I know everybody's been dying. Well, what does Rob think about this movie? He hasn't seen it before. This series is the first experience to both Blade Runner movies for him. And of course, we'll have to talk about Zach and his love for Ryan Gosling as we get further into this episode. But uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the ball rolling pretty hard right here. Did I love this movie? No. Did I hate this movie? Kind of. <laughs> really? That is, I am, I'm surprised by that. Uh, I'm starting to get the sense that with all I've talked about Denis Villeneuve on this podcast, how uh, Arrival is one of the most stupidly offensive movies I've ever seen. Um, uh, Enemy is fantastic. Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, twice. He's in plays two roles. That's one of the most amazingly abstract movies I've ever seen. I even went back and listened to our Sicario episode, and I'm kind of lukewarm on Sicario. I didn't go back and watch it again, but I know what? in that discussion, I'm like, what? Eh. And this, this is, uh, this movie is long. This movie is boring, 
And while it's not offensive to me, it doesn't hit me in any way that makes me respond to it. And I guess I'll get out of the way, Zach, because I know I know you're going to want to know. There is one of my notes, which in all caps says, wait, the premise of this movie is that robots can have babies? <laughs> that Putting that aside, because yes, we will have talk about the beep boop trash cans. This movie was just a buckshot, scattershot, lackluster, beautiful piece of nonsense, I would say. I, I don't ever want to watch this again. I'm glad I watched it to add to my, well, one Blade Runner filmography and Denis Villeneuve filmography. But, oh, man, there was, there was nothing that kept me going during this movie. Other than the baseline test that we referenced in our cold open. That is the best portion of the movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, everybody knows my opinions on Blade Runner from last. Okay, this is context time. Sure. I, I think Blade Runner 1982 is a very. It's, it's beautiful to look at, but it's completely hollow. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I saw this in 2017, I was excited because my boyfriend stars in it, and I'm very supportive of him. As we, I, don't think I've, I know I've hinted at though, but Ryan, being the first Ryan Gosling movie we ever talked about on the podcast, I'm, I'm always excited for any time I see him in a huge production like this. Yes, directly. We, we've talked about Ryan Gosling before, but you are correct. This is the first where he is the lead role in a movie we're discussing. Absolutely. Yes. So, but again, like going into this, like based on like the trailers, everything that I was seeing, the fact that Ridley Scott wasn't directing this because this only came out a few months after alien covenant, which I love and which we'll probably be talking about soon. Another, uh, not too shocking, uh, turn of events when it comes to cinema, these <laughs> movie selections, but so, but like, I, I didn't like blade runner. So like, I'm like, eh, but again, I want to support, Big again, this is all back like during fall 2017 when this came out. So I'm like, I want to support this though, but like, I don't want to get my hopes up. And I kind of did get my hopes up, as Rob can attest. I'm wearing my Blade Runner 2049 t shirts, I have yes. my Officer K action figure. I that actually had have... a point to show me these things right before we recorded, <laughs> yes. And I actually have a, an official Blade Runner 2049 like poster. Okay. Uh, I have all this stuff, and I remember when I came out of the theater, I did not like. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was infinitely better than the 1982 film. Infinitely better because it actually has a point. It's not just pretty for the sake of being pretty. Yeah, I think I was still disappointed with it. And then as time went on, I actually I got a copy of it, and I still have problems with it. I do not think it's a great film, but it's a movie that I. A hundred percent admire And I like what it's getting at A lot of the themes like it's one of those things That's kind of like the reverse Harry Potter Theme as I call it where somebody Thinks they're the chosen one and they're Not and they have to deal okay. with the fact that they're just They're Joe, literally they're Joe Blow In the case of this movie mm-hmm. And that I think this is one thing I was surprised That Rob doesn't love about this is the fact that Pretty much the message of the movie to our protagonist Is you don't matter only your your actions matter, not your preordained place in this story. That has no relevance in society. It's what you do that matters. Well, I get that that's what they were going for, but it at the same time, it doesn't matter because our protagonist is supposed to help robots uprise, which is stupid. I don't think I don't think that's his point though. Because okay, part of this movie too is that they were going to try to make this into a. This is okay. Peek behind the curtain. 
this was going to be Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, then Tron and Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why that series was going to work beyond the, like, how I originally pitched it to Rob, like, two years ago, was, like, oh, they're, like, sequels that happened, like, 30-plus years later. Oh, that's a that's a good point that you say years ago. This has been in the spreadsheet for a long time, 30-plus yes. years later sequels, yep. Because these because both Blade Runner and Tron came out the same year, 1982, and, yep. they, both, and they both bombed. And that's the whole thing is that they both have sequels that come out 30 years. Well, in Tron's instance, it wasn't 30 years. It was almost 30 years. And they had sequels. And whereas Tron Legacy made money, Disney, it's weird. Disney spun that movie into a failure. I've never seen a company deliberately try to spin a movie's success into a failure. It was 30, but, it was 30 Tron years. <laughs> yeah. Cycles. Cycles, Rob. Cycles. Yeah, there that's you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yes. So that's part of the reason why we were going to do this with Tron. And part of the reason why with this was that Tron Legacy was being set up for a bunch of sequels. Like, Garrett Hedlund and Olivia Wilde were going to be the protagonists of that series after Jeff Bridges kind of just, like, becomes, like, internet Jesus at the end. Mm-hmm. And this was a similar thing. They were banking on this, making a, a lot of money, and it being a franchise. And this was another movie that flopped worse than Tron. And that's not even counting seven years of inflation. And so, I never took Joe... Officer K's arc is and he's going to help Facilitate the Replicant revolution I think he's just a guy that's Wanted purpose and he finally found Purpose in life That and that's where he worse to me That is even (laughs) worse to me because he's a fucking useless Robot who has no purpose That realizes he has no no. purpose And what oh Harrison Ford gets to meet his fake Robot daughter fuck god This movie was a slog man (laughs) There's no reason This should be two hours 45 minutes long There is no reason for that there is so much. We'll get into it, I'm sure. With I, more I agree. But I agree. I agree. It doesn't I need to be that long. I figured you would agree with me there. The atmosphere is established well enough that they could have cut, I don't know, two hours and 40 minutes from this. It could have been oh, four minutes long. I would have got the same idea. Stop it. Don't. You, no, ignore him, folks. Um, <laughs> it could have been the baseline test scene and done. <laughs> no, because I think, okay, this movie, it's... It has problems. It's not. <clears throat> it's it's gore again. It falls into some of the traps that the original film does. That it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But whereas the first film, like most of it's just black with like lights, like f- like blinking little lights, and that's supposed to be art. This at least you could t- like, this won the Oscar for cinematography. Yes. Like okay. that, and that's where it's deserved because it actually tried to do something. You like every single for the most part, most of the sets are unique whether it be like even the sidewalks like i love when he's walking down the sidewalk you have the giant i don't know what it is like street cleaner street zamboni Mm -hmm. and he's walking like and you have like just like the the hiss of the steam with the light hitting it to me that one shot is visually more interesting than the entirety of blade runner 1982 or whatever you want to call it i i think the way that i can put it is like last week when we talked about the original blade runner we both agreed that the best part of this movie is looking at it that's how I would say about this film as well. The best part is looking at it because Denis Villeneuve, just like we talked about last week, he has an eye for those sweeping shots, those those way to establish atmospheres. Even though he he think we, he thinks we need twenty minutes of those to establish an atmosphere, it is beautiful. I'll gi- I'll give you that. Yeah, and that's the thing is that like, but I think this story. 
and again, I might be blinded because I love Ryan Gosling so much. I could just like <laughs> think, think about what Drive is. Drive is just him sitting there half the time, just staring into the void. What do you so, want your groceries? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was uh, I. <laughs> Yes, yes, that, that is a line from that film. So I am, yeah, it, it's his first line of dialogue in like thirty minutes past the opening. <laughs> yes. So I am a little. What's the word? The 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 skin has been greased when it comes to Ryan Gosling just kind of standing there looking stoically. Like that is that's how you get sure, to me, folks. Sure. I mean, uh, but, I don't I don't know how you want to break this down, Zach. But even from the beginning, this movie turned me off because he's a replicant. He has to chase down a replicant. You got two that was, superhuman. Whoa, whoa. That that was a huge like that. I remember sitting in the theater for this. That was a huge like revelation at the time because they did not put that in any of the marketing. Well, fair, I, but he he says it in the movie before the first action scene happens when Dave Batista is like, "You're hunting your own." So it's that made was, clear. No, well, yeah, yes. To someone like Rob that has laser focus, that's looking to unravel the plot. And then two superhuman robots fight each other. There's nothing but to gain from that. Because we... We don't... Oh, okay, you have... Get he, ready for Zach and <laughs> Rob to fight. <laughs> okay, hey, that's the... the Paul th Bartel series he, is a lot of agreeance. We're back to regular old cinema. No, this is, this is back to private parts again. We're like, Rob's not wrong, but I think he's going with like a laser-level focus to unravel this. And I don't think that's the ideal way to consume this movie okay, he can consume the movie any way he wants i don't it's kind of like a kid that's just like on christmas morning instead of opening each present to see what it is he's just going through the presents just to rip the rack it's somebody who has more of an enjoyment of ripping wrapping paper than it is opening a present and that's fine rob can view a movie any way he likes <laughs> I like but i that. think <laughs> but i think to judge the movie that way it's kind of like to judge a present based on the wrapper and not the actual contents because yes you are not wrong the thing is that yes it's two replicants but it's very cryptic how it's being laid out by Dave Batista in that moment, because obviously the plot of the movie is Blade Runner. The, the, the intro crawl or whatever you want to call it, the intro text, which going back to our Sicario discussion, Rob mm -hmm. asked, does Blade Runner begin with an intro text? And I go, Hmm, maybe. And I go, yeah, it has to start with it. Yeah. Text. I, I think, uh, I think there's even a correction about me saying like, Oh, Blade Runner does, but, enemy does not or something like that yeah i remember vaguely but, doing something along those lines but yes almost two years later we can corroborate that it does begin we can confirm oh. for certain now and it's and, a lot of text <laughs> yes but the thing is that like you're watching this and keep in mind you're you're blade runner so it's a sequel you're supposed to be thinking about how the original movie operated not laser level focus to unravel the plot so if you think back to how the original blade runner opens which i think is like you read a description to blade runner the original and it's like oh harrison ford plays a blade runner which is the name of a group of people who hunt down like like uh replicant androids and you watch the movie and that doesn't happen except for one point where harrison ford shoots a woman going through plexiglass for some bizarre reason and this What's movie a tortoise <laughs> yes i'm, I'm but, with you zach I'm but this you. movie begins exactly actually in the original blade runner 1982 script this was how the film originally began until ridley scott kind of just threw the toaster into the the bathtub of it all i i read that and i think that that this would have worked better as the start of the original blade runner seeing our main character being a blade runner absolutely 
And that's the things that we're not supposed to know that he's a replicant. And that's where it's like, oh, but we also don't, we, as we know, these replicants lie and they, they know how to get out of problems. They'll say anything to kind of just take the attention and the focus mm-hmm. off them. Mm-hmm. So you can't really trust Dave Batista at that moment. So when he says that, it's like, okay, well, he's just making things up. Because I remember sitting in the theater watching Ryan Gosling take a punch from Dave Batista and being like, oh, this is a joke. I'm like, how am I going to take this movie seriously? Like, there's no way Ryan Gosling, who weighs like, I don't care how much muscle mass he has, like, <laughs> tops weighs 170 pounds. You yeah. take a punch from Dave Bautista, who's been ripped the moment he's come out of the womb, and and then Dude, and they, like, the movie even the movie even exacerbates this or emphasizes it because before they start to fight, Dave Bautista comes in from his farming duties and puts on. The smallest pair of glasses in existence. Yes, I know. Like the movie is beating you over the head with how big of a dude he is, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. But again, this movie is also was a hundred and fifty million dollar movie. They had to make it appeal to dummies. Again, if you make a movie that's gonna require (laughs) half a billion dollars to break even, you gotta (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's also the rule of threes. You gotta make sure everybody's aware. The fact, I think, like he walks through the screen door and he has to like slowly maneuver through it because he's he's Dave Batista. Yes, yes, yeah. And then you have the part with the glasses. That's number two. And then you have him literally like like throw Ryan Gosling through. Well, he beats Ryan Gosling through a wall and then throws him through it. And I think that that's where I'm kind of just like we said last week that those first few moments of Blade Runner were kind of all on board. And I was all on board at the beginning of this because we're getting to see someone, you know, we don't they don't get thrown through a wall like a stupid, you know, Marvel movie would do. where just boom. The wall's gone. We see the wall buckle and belt and slowly being broken through. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm with this. Absolutely. But then we get that clunky, clunky connective tissue with Dave Batista going, you've never seen a miracle. And I'm like, clearly this is going to come up six times throughout the rest of the movie Rob, and be the connective tissue. $150 million production budget, half a billion dollars to break even. They got to make it consumable for everybody. This, is, know, not, this is not an art film, even though I, it wants to be at times. I, I get that, but that... I, I can't. It, it's I'm, a blockbuster. I'm, you have to forgive I'm it at that level. I'm intrinsically prohibiting myself from <laughs> viewing it like that because I want to view it as a good movie, and it's not a good movie for those reasons. It's because a two-hour so and 45. It's not clunky. It's establishing oh, it's, stuff. Oh, you telling me it's not clunky. you telling me that the only – it's not <laughs> clunky when the only way Ryan Gosling gets to describe his – wooden horse memory to the audience is because Robin Wright gets drunk and asks him, what's a memory that you have? This is clunky no, as hell. Th- no, because th- no, they're, okay, I'm glad you brought that because we're going to transition away from Dave Bautista because I feel like Rob and I could talk about, it's going to be like yeah, private parts all over I, again. And, and just, Rob just doesn't like clear, it, I, I think it works. I don't think it's I perfect, did, but I think it works. I did, I did not watch, but I did look into, there were uh, preliminary prologue materials about yes, Dave yes. Bautista. I read about them. I didn't watch them, but I get that. I get the whole, you know, even Inception did that. They had the whole, how did Leo ca- get to that first business? It's, it's a I'm prologue. Not counting that. I'm not counting that. that. That's the Animatrix. I'm not going to count. I'm oh, not. well, sure. Yeah, it was, it was it's, directed it's by one of the same people that did one of the Animatrix, Animatrix. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not going to. I, I watched those back when I first got the Blu-ray, but I haven't watched them since. I, didn't, I was going to attempt watching, but I figure it's not relevant. But, but I definitely feel that the connective tissue throughout the bulk of this movie is clunky. I felt that way. 
I, I don't think it's clunky. I think the movie's trying to do a lot. It's trying to be heady. It's trying to be a blockbuster. It's trying to be an art film. It's trying to do all these things, and it couldn't settle on being one. This is a pro. This is both <clears throat> the blessing and the curse of this film, in that it's trying to do everything, and it succeeds for try. It's it works as well as it can. You're not going to have a heady blockbuster that's an art film, all wrapped into one package, any better than this. I think You're that not. You, just, you just described exactly my thoughts. In that, I agree with you that it's trying to do a lot of these things. But where we split is that I feel it fails in each aspect. But okay, because <clears throat> obviously Rob and I don't agree on Dave Bautista beginning fine, whatever. I think that yeah, well, works. He does. I, I get. I do want to spend a moment because you know what we've seen Dave Bautista in a few things: Guardians of the Galaxy. This I don't know if Zach saw Stuber. I never saw Stuber. I don't like Dave Bautista as an actor, and I did want to ask your opinion on him just to take a quick aside, if we could. What do you think about Dave Bautista as a, a, a like a, a screen presence? I guess because sure he's a big dude. You know we think about Arnold, we think about you know Stallone, all these muscle bound dudes. But I, I've never felt any attraction to Dave Bautista as as a screen presence. Well, well I, glad- I wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion on that. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm I'm thrilled that you used the term screen presence and not acting because he's because he's not an actor. He's a screen presence. Well, I think he can act though, because I think I I've well, seen him in a couple what? of things. Well, okay, so, okay, he has three. Okay, I think he's much more versatile than you're giving him credit for because he, even though yes, he was a wrestler, he'd done things prior to Guardians of the Galaxy, but Guardians of the Galaxy is what land is what puts him on the map. Yeah, and as, he, as he, one of the as literally my least favorite character in Guardians of the Galaxy. He works for again, Rob. You have to look at it as in, does he work for what he's given with given in the direction. Remember, and I would he's say not, no. He's he, he's the comedic relief, and he's supposed to be the the oh my god, See, a hunk of me. I think comic relief. This is where Does Zach he, and I disagree about what comic relief is, because saying few words very slowly and stupidly is not comic relief. I never but that's, have but that's not that's not the actor's fault though. That's the film's fault. Oh, true. The actor, true. If he's that's the, that's the problem with a lot of people's criticism nowadays. You can't get mad at something. That you can't target your frustration or criticism if that's not where it belongs. That's if a fair you don't, if that's you don't like point. Drax the Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy, that's not Dave Bautista's fault. If he's able to bring the the director's vision to life, that means he's a great actor, fair, even if it's fair. not good. That's James Gunn's fault. That's the studio's fault. If you don't like that character, that's not the actor's fault. Because I think. For what he's given in that film, whether you like the character or not, he brings that character to life the way James Gunn wanted him to. And that's that's all his job is at the end of the day. Fair. Uh, un- understood. I get what you're saying. Okay, you get where I'm coming from. You also disagree with me. You just have to acknowledge where I'm coming no, from. No, yeah, absolutely, Zach. And I know? think if, he, if I if I just hated you, this podcast would be over. <laughs> I know. But you got that. And then another thing I thought of him in recently where he again, the problem is that Hollywood's still using him as a hunk of meat. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, that's why I'm glad that in Blade Runner 2049 he's still being used as that, but not directly. Because he, the next thing I thought of him in was in um, Spectre, James Bond Spectre, where he's essentially oh god, there's a there's a term for that in Bond films, but I forget what it is. He, he's a henchman, and he doesn't the, speak uh, at all. The muscle, the heavy. 
Yeah, essentially. Yeah, heavy. Okay. He's the muscle. He's a henchman. Is he's, he? He's, I've never seen Spectre. Is he like the kind of like the Jaws of Live and yes, Let Die? Yes, or yes, stuff? yes. Okay, thank you, okay. thank you. That's what I was thinking of. And he doesn't speak. I think he has one one line in that entire film, but he worked because he's a screen presence. He does. He's and he's doing that well. And even in this. Watching him in uh, 2049, I was thinking he'd be a fantastic heir to the throne for Russell Crowe, as in the brute with a brain. And I'd love to see him in more roles like this, <laughs> the brute with a brain. I'm, I'm laughing at the fact of just seeing a remake of A Beautiful Mind with Dave Bautista. <laughs> I think he could do it. I think he could do it. You give him that same exact script and you give him the same direction. I again, this is I forget who it was. It might have been Adam McKay who said this. He goes, "It'd be a it's it's infinitely easier for a comedic actor to transition into drama than for a dramatic actor to transition into comedy." Okay, and I think sure. that I think that's where I, again I think Dave Bautista can do anything. I think he's he's a versatile actor. The problem is that like I don't think there's a lot of roles nowadays. For people like that, like like that sort of like Russell, it's kind of like I remember somebody asking me years ago. I know we're getting really off topic, topic from Blade Runner. Do it. it was like somebody asked me like, "What'd you think of L.A. Confidential?" And they're like, "Oh, but Russell Crowe is so great in that." And I'm like, "Yeah, he's doing the same thing he'll do for the next twenty years, and that's the brute with a brain." Mm. And that's and that's what it is. That like it's not bad. It's just an observation. And that's the thing I'd like to see Dave Bautista transition to, because I think in this movie, the, what, three minutes he has of screen time, he does that fabulously. He's not comedic relief. He has the gravitas. Even though Rob might not like what he's saying, he's selling it. He's selling, like, considering he, he's the introduction of this film, he's selling the magnitude and the weight of everything going forward. Whether you like that is something else entirely. But in the of the job he's given to sell just the... The the idea of a, a man and a replicate woman coming together to make a weird hybrid child and what that will mean for the universe of this world and how the characters will respond to it, he sells that in that initial ten minutes of the movie. Uh, I kind of agree with you, but I don't know. I'm I'm torn because I I can't really for myself split those two apart, you know. And I think that's the biggest issue that I have. As you know, a film critic, if you can even call me that, is is that you know I I I have a problem separating those things, and that's that's where I had the issue with Dave Bautista in this role because I I can't when he comes on screen when I look at him and like you said when he has to shift his way through the sliding door because he's such a huge hunk of meat, I I, I can't really take him seriously as anything. You know, he, he's just going to be in an action scene. But that's but it's not just but it's not an action scene though. Think about it. he punches Ryan Gosling through a wall. Ryan Gosling gets the gets gets on top of him because he's a newer model. And that's another thing too. Dave Bautista is whoever is he whatever Nexus model. He he's is. a Nexus eight. Ryan Gosling's a Nexus nine. And and that's and, I, and that uh, that's, but that's visual kinda... story. But think about okay. This I want you. Okay, you said it there. At no point in the movie there's there. Think about it. if you make fun of this movie for being dumb and pedestrian. If this was truly a dumb pedestrian movie, when Dave Bautista is being choked out by Ryan Gosling, he would have said something like, it's not possible. And Ryan Gosling would have been like, Nexus 9, buddy. We left you really? eights in the dust. If, th if this was as pedestrian as you say it is, that would have been communicated through dialogue, not but through doesn't visual. He, doesn't like, Dave Bautista has the line where he's like, you newer models are just here to clean up shit. But that's like, that, at least, isn't that but the same thing? No, because it's it, it, 
it's yes, it's the same thing though, but it's at least you're elevating it because you do got to convey it to the dummies. It's not Marvel dialogue. Mm, it's oh. not how much for the arm, not for sale. How much for the gun? It's not that lowest. Co- yes, Rob, this is not an art film. And I, I, I want you to repeat what? after me. This is not an art film. No, I it's don't have tr- to repeat you. I believe it, you. <laughs> that's the thing, though. But you got to give the movie credit for, again, $150 million film that they sold is an October blockbuster. And clearly it didn't work based on the word of mouth. Again, Rob, if it makes you feel I any better, you. this I movie bombed. You you got your wish. This movie well, was no, for I mean, nobody. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, whether or not. The, the box office agreed with me. I'm always going to have my opinion, so I hear you. But, but at the same time, you know, it, it's it's I I understand where you're coming from, and I think that's the point of this podcast is that you know Zach and I are both open minded, understanding well, understanding with reason people <laughs> that we can explain ourselves to each other and get at this. And I get where you're coming from, but you know, it, it's kind of when you. Whenever we do this, whenever I watch a movie or you watch a movie and we have this discussion, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, will I feel this way the next time I see it? And I'm, I'm, that's what I'm not really sold on yet. But I definitely agree with you that, you know, this is, this is not an abstract movie. And to bring it back to Denis Villeneuve, where you have something like Arrival, which is so offensively stupid and expositive... <laughs> There, there's no saving that movie. Like literally, every aspect of that movie has a, a character looking at the camera, explaining it to you. Whereas I hate that, and I'm offended by it. Enemy does none of that. Enemy is completely abstract. But like, that's, literally, that's not so, commercial, though. Exactly, and that's where I'm kind of having an issue with this movie, where it's it's almost like a blend of those two's ideas in Denis Villeneuve's oeuvre. Because he's taking that hand-holding with the dialogue, with the recurring flashbacks, you know, when when later on, like, uh, Ryan Gosling does something, and we cut back to a flashback of Dave Bautista going, you've never witnessed a miracle. That's very hand-holding. Where that's more of the arrival stuff I don't like, where at the same time, we get these scenes that are very, very complex and abstract, say, with um, the memory maker. Uh, Anne Staline in that's in you know when she's deriving memories for replicants that's very abstract and that's more the stuff I can latch on to because it's 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 show not tell and that's what I love and this is a weird middle ground for Denis Villeneuve where yes he had his artistic vision versus the the weight of Blade Runner on his shoulders that it had to meet somewhere in the middle and I'm just I guess what I'm saying is I'm I'm unhappy that it leaned more towards the hand-holding than anything else. The clunkiness than anything else. That's, again, I don't, again, fine. That's, if, if, if that's how you want to perceive it, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. The but last tr- scene of Enemy is a woman turns into a Dumb. spider. It's amazing. <laughs> and that, and look how much money that movie made. I don't and even know if that movie went to theaters. I don't, e- there, I don't know anything about go. that movie. <laughs> there you go. Um, but that, okay. I will, I will tell everybody, if you, want, if you like abstract Denis Villeneuve, I put Enemy on one night at 1 a.m. in my apartment, and I think from 1.15 to 3 a.m., the last two, like the last hour 45 of that movie, I was standing for it. I was so enthralled by it. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. That movie's so good, but then you get a rival where it's like, 
Okay, if you didn't understand why this was happening, here you go. If you didn't understand this, here you go. Because it's come, I know, because it's commercial, and that's well. Again, I, I want, I want Rob to, I want Rob to remember all this when we revisit Inception in a couple of months, because Inception falls into those traps big time. <laughs> I want, I want everyone to remember this. In a couple of months, we will delve into Inception. And oh yeah. Inception oh, yeah. Inception punches you in the face with expository dialogue and tell not show. That's uh, and I want to hear Rob defend that film the same way that he's attacking. I this. know I'm kind of with with this whole podcast. I I think the last time I watched Inception was maybe like two or three months into this podcast. I haven't watched it since. With the new mindset I have of Zach, you know, teaching me and and my research teaching me about how to view movies. Inception is one of the movies I'm kind of afraid to rewatch because uh-huh. I loved it so much. But you're absolutely right. It takes two hours of exposition to get to just a good 30 minutes of a van falling <laughs> to make you understand why that van falling is meaningful. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, again, and I, I'm trying to think, Rob, can you name another film of this level or production caliber that doesn't fall into the traps that this film does you feel is there another mm-hmm. blockbuster that you could that you can tell me that does this as just as that attempts to be as heady and succeeds in the way that you're saying this film fails well you know i think right off the bat when you say blockbuster i'd say no like these movies these accessible movies they don't they don't work in the way i want them to work and that that i think that's become a hallmark of cinematics i love these independent smaller things that are allowed to be more abstract and it's and it's tough to to gain that that level of you know um fandom maybe not fandom is the right word but understanding audience audience audience, yeah with without setting as much up as these movies do which is what i have the problem with which is fair again no one's saying rob has to like this movie but he has to he has to at least understand what it's attempting he has to judge it and grade yeah, it based I on do. what it's attempting to do not on what he's assigning it to do well that i think that's also where we disagree is that you know i am uh you can I, like it or uh, you can like it or dislike it on your own metric you cannot I'm a, I'm a strict instructor and i give my grades based on exactly what i see and what i want <laughs> but that's what i mean though. but you, again you you don't know what you have to like it though but you have to grade it on what it's trying to do if it succeeds at what it's it's trying to do whether you like it is something else entirely it's like if you go to a restaurant wanting a hamburger and all they sell is hot dogs you can't give the hot dog a zero out of five stars because it's not a hamburger you have to judge it based on what it is, not what you expect it to be. I don't know. Can't I? <laughs> well, that's what you're doing right now. So clearly, I, I I think that's what some of our restaurant Yelp reviews have been. I ordered I ordered French fries and I got a caviar glory hole. Zero out of <laughs> yes. ten stars. Never going to go again. <laughs> no, no. With all jokes aside, I understand what you're saying, Zach. But I think where the disagreement for us comes is from that there. there's sometimes when I watch a movie, especially for the first time, I'm not completely certain on what they are going for. And that that's a big separation, I think, with this distinction that you're making, is that, yes, I agree with you. It should be graded on what it's going for, but I don't always understand what the movie's going for. But that's the thing. Is like, okay, I want to transition now after almost well, past a half an hour of talking. I want to highlight Plot synopsis. Scene. Robot I, has babies. Babies, babies, babies. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, because again, if you – there's no explaining the plot of this movie in like three sentences. You, there's not. Oh, you, either, you're, you either want to watch this or you don't want to watch it. There's babies, nothing we yeah. – 
Yeah, yes, replicant, <laughs> replicant human babies. Um, but I going can't back, wait to read you one of the notes I have, but continue, Zach. <laughs> but going to the scene you mentioned with Robin Wright and Ryan Gosling in the apartment, and she's asking, like, okay, reiterate what you said earlier about that. Yes, the, one the, of the, one of the sections of the movie that I thought was very clunky uh, is that when um, Ryan Gosling is on the case as the replicant detective for the LAPD, he's trying to find the um, the child, the replicant child. And Robin Wright is like, we need to find this child because it's going to cause a war. Like, you can't tell humans that replicants can have babies. That's going to upend the whole society. And right before this, Ryan Gosling has the quick memory when he sees on the on the um, the, the tree before he burns down Dave Batista's farm that it has the date 6-10-21 or 10-6-20. I don't know, whatever the fuck. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's a date. He sees the same date. And you see a quick flashback of his memory where he has a toy horse, a wooden horse that has that same date on the foot. And you're like, oh, okay, there's something going on here. Ryan Gosling knows this date. And it was the date, you know, that is on this tree. And, whoa, what's going on? Of course, his officer, his his madam, as they call it in the movie, who's a lieutenant from what I've read in my research, she comes to his apartment and goes, Coco's dead. The dude from the Dark Knight that shot Gary Oldman is dead. So what do we do? And he's like, she's like, you better have something for me. And he's like, well, I found this sock and I found this picture and that's about it. And then she goes, oh, man, I need a drink. And she pours some alcohol and it cuts to her slurring her words when they're both sitting in his apartment. And she goes, do you have memories? Can you tell me about my memories? Can you tell me about the legitimate only memory you have that will make this plot move forward at this point in time? And I'm like, oh my God, this is the clunkiest shit I've ever heard. And I'm, I'm interested now to hear if that describes exactly what you're getting at. Why isn't this clunky? This is clunky. But why this, why would okay. she ask him about memories and because, the one memory that pushes the plot forward? That's fucking ridiculous. Because like, why? Are you finished? He would, give, he would give any other memory that he has because it's a clearly established he has a whole slew of memories. He doesn't have one memory that's pushing the plot forward. He could tell her any other and keep it to himself. But that's the thing, though, is that with the... Okay. Okay. There's, there's a lot of targets there to have to try to fire at all God, at once. We haven't even gotten to Anna de Armas' weird sex hologram yet. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Repeat that again, Rob? Anna de Armas' weird sex hologram? With Dylan Roof Terminator. Oh, you got oh Dylan Roof Terminator herself shows up in this movie. That's one yes, of my notes. She, yes, Dylan Roof Terminator. I, my note is legitimately Mackenzie Davis exclamation mark. <laughs> Dylan Roof Terminator herself. <laughs> oh great. Okay. I will Kai please have the floor. Okay. You you got it. You got it, man. If you go back to the original Blade Runner and even this. He is being all the the replicants have a handful of memories that they have in order to kind of keep them warm at night. They only have a handful of them, and considering that the Nexus Nines, Officer K, Joe are all supposed to be much more streamlined in the sense of that they're supposed to be upfront with their feelings. They can't lie. It makes sense, narratively speaking, and in the context of making this for dummies in the audience, that that's the memory, Rob. Like, yeah, Rob, he could say any other memory, but why are you going to waste screen time with a memory that's not relevant to the plot? Because you could, if, let's say he did give another memory. Just cut that uh, scene out. Cut it out. 
No, because this is save us ten minutes. Cut it out. He there's no reason for him to yes, share a half true yes, memory to his boss. Yes, well, but okay. You go, you go because we skipped a, ske- a scene earlier on that's important. When he goes to the Wallace Corporation or whatever they're called, and he goes and looks for the records of of he has Rachel's hair from the first film. Oh yes, yes, yes. He goes there and love. The we go. We gotta talk about Jared Leto too at some point. Rob, you gotta get off your freaking high horse. We have got to focus on some com- com- components <laughs> yes. of the film. There, there are, not, there are not, a lot of other aspects. Not, of it. not every time Rob talks can be a, a five minute diatribe. Um, what? That's the thing is that when he goes and he goes there, he's being helped out by the office clerk, and then Love shows up. And when he's talking to her, they go back and forth a couple of times. And I don't have the exact dialogue exchange at my fingertips, but something is said where she goes, one of the most intimate things you can do to a person is ask them about themselves. Personal question. Yes, a personal question is one of the most intimate, invasive things you can do to a person. And she says, do you like your job, detective? And he goes, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) Yes, and that's the thing, is that I think it's, I don't think they use this combination of words, but I think it's very interesting. The word word intimate and invasive being together. I think in the sense of something that's meant to bring two people together is something that's supposed to inherently drive them apart. And the fact that obviously love has some level of, as we know, the replicants, they have, they can have relationships, they have feelings, which that alone is going to set Rob off, just that notion. Beep boop. Beep boop trash can. (laughs) And, and that's the thing is that you have that moment. The fact that she tries to get, has that intimate invasive moment with him and he immediately shuts her down. Yet, when Robin Wright, his boss, Madam, whoever her official title is, yeah. does it, he opens up to her. It shows that he's able, that he does have those intimate relationships in his life. And I think there's even a very, very low key, I don't want to say, what, what's the inverse of Me Too when it's a, a female boss coming on to a male employee? But I do think there's that element too. The fact that she's getting, think about it. Why does she have to come to his apartment? And think about it. Imagine if that was a role reversal. Imagine if it was a female replicant detective and it was the male boss coming over and getting drunk and asking personal questions. I think it's, I think it's trying to get at that level. I think it's trying to be heady in the, does it work? Probably not. I'll concede that it's clunky. Again, Rob, I do not love this movie. I do not. You, no, oh, d- no, yeah, love, a, I, love aside. No, no, yeah, that I, I get what I you're saying. Get, and that's oh, what I think. This movie is uh, that sequence is meant to juxtapose the love K moment versus the Madam K moment, where it shows that he does have these barriers. It's supposed to show that he does have relationships with people, and he's not this just. He'll open up to anybody, which I no one's going to question with Ryan Gosling playing a robot. But that's the point I think it's trying to get at. I whether it works, whether you like it, that's what I see it as. I know that you like once again, you make a great point. That is not anything that I thought of with that scene in the movie. I I thought the scene in the movie was getting at Ryan Gosling knew he was on a mission to find this child. Having the suspicion at that point that he is that child, he needed to get her out of there as fast as possible. I I didn't look into it any further than that because he is 
a an android, a robot. He is conniving. He is manipulating. He can think of everything faster than a human can. And I, I never took it in that way, is that the intimacy or the uh, vulnerability of it, for sure. I, and, and, he, I think and he does have that. To- and he does oh, have sure. that because we have that with Anna de Armas as the, uh, the the glorified Siri girlfriend. Yeah, hologram sex robot. Um, but I, I think that this is where this whole discussion is going to boil down to is that Zach and I are very different people. Even though we share a lot of opinions on a lot of things, we, we think about things fundamentally differently. We interpreted this movie fundamentally differently. I think that's where this is going. Because I I didn't think of these scenes the way you did, and I'm sure you didn't think of them the way I did. Absolutely. Well, I knew I knew I was, again, I knew what I was getting myself involved with here, folks. I did not walk into this blind. I knew. Well, yeah, of course we know each other. To the, you, you show I, me any beep aud- boop trash can. Movie. Yes, <laughs> yes. The audience knows the term beep boop trash can. I guess, I, I guess I do want to say to that point, I really wanted Jared Leto to win at the end of the day. I wanted him to control all the replicants. I was well, like, come he, on. He's really good in this for like the, what, 10 minutes of screen time that he has. Oh he's really God, he good because he's a different. Whew. Well, he's good because he's playing a very different type of villain. He's not like in most of these things. It would be like, I want to enslave all the robots to make money. In his thing, and he has a fantastic line of dialogue in this, where he goes, "Humanity has lost its taste for slavery." Every leap of civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. We lost our stomach for slaves, unless engineered. And I'm yes. like, now that that's a clever piece of dialogue. That is so provocative. I, I guess. Do we want to take a quick aside to talk about Jared Leto with his small part in this movie? Now, are we ready for it? I, I, okay. I'm, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna say my thoughts first because I can keep okay. it rather uh, Go concise. For it. Go for um, it. I know a lot of people hate Jared Leto. Everything I've ever seen him in, I like. As an actor, I have no problems with him. Um, I've ne- like, I know his tabloid stuff. I've seen some of it. Just it trickles into my world. <laughs> I yep. don't. It, it doesn't do anything to me. I think I read like on the Suicide Squad set, he was sending like used condoms to like Will Smith. I, as a concept, of, I, of human shit to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, as a concept, I find that hysterical. As something you do like in reality, that's a no for me, dog. Um, but no, as <laughs> thank God, <laughs> thank God. When no. I get the next package from you, Zach, I know it's not that. <laughs> no, no. But no, as an actor, I've got no problem with him. I think everything I've seen him in, I think he's great. That's the further extent I've ever thought of Jared Leto. Jared Leto to me is, uh, uh, I, I've, I've always loved Jared Leto. Um, uh, the first thing I ever saw him in movie wise was Requiem for a dream. Did you ever see that Zach? I I've been aware of it forever, but I've never seen it. I, I would love to discuss Requiem for a dream one day because it gets at one of my favorite topics of, of thematic, uh, in, in film or art is addiction. Uh, Jared Leto is great in that. I think Jared Leto's best role ever is Nicolas Cage's brother in Lord of War. Yeah, I, yeah. I Loving love that. him in that movie. Like he is he is really good as a foil to Nicolas Cage being the the businessman where Jared Leto is just like, "Oh, we have success. Let's There's a scene where he literally outlines the country of Ukraine where they're from in cocaine. Like yep. that's a scene in that movie. It's amazing. But if you don't know, he is also the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars, yep. which I've seen in concert before. Um, even if you don't like 30 Seconds to Mars, it is something to see him live in concert. He has an amazingly powerful voice. 
like he did a whole kind of like four minute song where he didn't use a microphone when I saw him at an indoor concert and you could hear him just as well as if he did use a microphone. He has an amazing voice. Um, Suicide Squad, sure, you got some issues. I like with- that. I liked him in that. I know a lot of people uh, didn't, but I liked him in that. I, I, I'm one of the people who's never really liked the Joker in general as a villain for Batman. I've always been a bigger, you know, like, I, this is probably blasphemous, but my favorite Batman villain is the Riddler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Joker has never done it for me. But Jared Leto's great. The thing I wanted to bring up, which I don't know if Zach saw, but I once I read about this in a few sources, I had to bring it up. Denis Villeneuve's first choice to play Neander Wallace, the Jared Leto role, was David Bowie. Yeah, it makes sense. I would have fucking, as I think it's been said on this podcast, even though sparsely, uh, Rob is an immaculately, positively gung-ho David Bowie fan. Everything David Bowie's ever done, Rob has listened to and watched, and even when he's a boiler in the... (laughs) season of twin peaks the return i'm sorry zach i was about to say season three um david bowie is amazing i love him and everything i i am just kind of giddy with glee thinking about what david bowie would have done in this role and of course you know we lost david bowie too soon or according to david bowie right on time he released his last album his 10th album and died two days later Um, But Jared Leto, for what I think could have been, does an immaculate job with this very supporting role uh, that he has in Blade Runner 2049, along with the baseline test of the interlinked cells, interlinked cells. Jared Leto is my second favorite part of this movie because he has some great, as Zach said, existential dialogue. Yeah, no, that's um, no, he's uh, he does everything again. I I wish the film was as concise Overall, as it is with his moments, mm. I, I don't disagree with you, Rob. A lot of this could have been condensed, but you lose the atmosphere. Yeah. So, so I, I think my question for you is something that I thought when I was watch at well when I finished watching this movie. Let's get rid of love. Get rid of the replicant love, and replace yeah, okay. it with Jared Leto. Why? Why isn't Jared Leto the one? Dropping the bombs when Ryan Gosling is getting uh, you know, you, beat up in the in the wasteland. Why isn't Jared Leto the you, final boss fight? Because this was a because Jared Leto is probably only available for a couple weeks of shooting. That probably was Fair. the first reason. And Fair. two, he probably wouldn't have taken a role that was that physical. That doesn't seem like something that'd be up his alley. And remember, this was supposed to be a new franchise, mm. so you need your yeah. big bad, and every film needs its lieutenant. You need that per. You need that. That I don't want to say henchman, but you need somebody for your protagonist of each film to go up against. Ah, uh, so so on that point, which you exactly just made, when I watched this movie a few days ago for this recording, I I thought at the end of the movie that Jared Leto was akin to Edward Norton in Alita: Battle Angel. He's not yes, the big yes, villain. Yes, he's the overarching yes, villain. Yes, he's not. He's, he's not the baddie of the movie. But he's the baddie of the franchise. Yes, and that's and even there's a moment very early on when we see uh, K take his split a uh, police spinner, and we go past like we see him going past the old Terrell building, which we see a million times in the yep. first Blade Runner, and then we see the Wallace Corporation building, and it's even bigger than that one, <laughs> and it's like okay, again, like that. 
like it, yes, that sort of imagery. It's the J.J. Abrams. Like here's the the start of right. uh, the yeah. USS Enterprise. Here's the Romulan ship. It's even bigger. It's what we got, but bigger. Yes, yep. it's like this was the Death Star. This is Star Killer Base. <laughs> um, it's that, but at least it's not. Again, that's the difference, though. Here, we, Rob, we built the same technology. But put a mirror in front of it. So it shoots at multiple things now. <laughs> but that's where I gotta give this film credit, though. Where, like, this film could have very easily have devolved into J.J. Abrams' crap. Because think about it. In this, you have the police spinner going past the old Terrell building. Yes. It's all, it's dormant. It's defunct for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah. And you see the, absolutely. Yes. And you see the Wallace corporation building looming infinitely larger than the grand mm-hmm. structure, of the Terrell building, which yes. we also get in the opening dialogue that when Terrell went bankrupt, Wallace bought his company out. Yep. Yes. Is that imagery a little clunky? Sure. But it's at least show not tell. But it's infinitely better than J.J. Abrams. This was the Death Star. This is Starkiller Base. Like that's. <laughs> I'll give about, you that. You're you're right there, Zach. And Absolutely. that's the, that's the difference. Where yes, this film is clunky. It's not perfect, but it, it it's trying. It's trying to do everything, and it's doing what it's attempting at as well as it possibly can. And that's why I am infinitely more forgiving of this. Than I am of the original Blade Runner because the original Blade Runner is literally just like it's a it's a it's a plastic egg that has paint on it. There's nothing to it. It's just meant to be looked at from a distance, and the moment you interact with it, you realize how hollow it is. This yeah. is this is the equivalent of at least hard boiling the egg first, then painting it because you can at least eat it afterwards if you're inclined to eat. An egg with dyes soaked into it. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Exactly. It's not great for you. It's not great, but at least you will gain substance from it. There's at least something to be gained. It's not ideal, but there's something to be gained. And I cannot attack something that at least tries to have substance. Uh, I feel I totally can. And while I agree with you <laughs> that it is, uh, it is better. I will say I like this better than the original Blade Runner. It's still, it's. It still has issues, so many issues for me that I'm not willing to accept it, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to accept it. You have to be you have to forgive it. You have to forgive I, well, it. Yeah, I guess, it's well, then it, it's better than the original Blade Runner, but I'm still not willing to forgive it. Okay. Then, we're, then we haven't we've made no progress, folks. We've made zero progress in roughly uh 50 minutes. Welcome to Cinematic. Nice. <laughs> All right. But okay. But yes, no, I like the character of love. Um she works, she's a really no, cool henchman. Gee. She's a cool henchman. She's a henchman. You have to judge her by a henchman. That's all she is. She is. She is. She is a henchman. And, and, you know, I, uh, she wasn't bad. I, I didn't, you know, I liked her persona. Look at at it this way. What would you rather have in a movie? Think about $150 million film, which is a better henchman love in blade runner, 2049, watching her as she does air. What? Drone airstrikes While she's getting her nails done From the cool reflective pool lit Like office Okay that was badass That was fucking badass Okay, and And then think about what the modern Blockbuster equivalent Of a henchman is Think back to our favorite Cinematis film of all time Avengers Infinity War And you have the 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 Thanos lackey With the, the, the Squidward nose That that's dragging Doctor Strange through New York City. At the end of the day, which is a better henchman? Yeah, 
you're not wrong. I'll give you this. I'll give you this 100% of the time. That's the thing. Is that like you're right? It's, you're right. It's this. It's the same caliber of people making these movies, and that's where at least like you might not like love, but she's at least a character. She yes. has unique yes. character traits. She's a character. She's not just spectacle. She's not just there. And even by the end, she think you know. Yes, and I know Rob's gonna hate this. The very end where her Ryan Gosling are fighting on the. I don't even know what the hell we're gonna call it. The barrier. <laughs> The the, wa- the water barrier. I, I want I want to say beach, but it's it's kind of a beach, but it's not. Yeah, um, that that yeah. I know you. I'm I'm assuming you're. This is what you're about to say, but uh, where yeah, she I goes, I'm better that. than you in every single way. I'm and the then, new model of the replicants. <laughs> yes, and, but again, it's that's clunky, and you don't need that though. But it's do you know. From, do you know after, what my note is when she said that? When she said that, my note was yeah. But can anybody fuck you and get you pregnant? <laughs> Because <laughs> that's what this fucking movie's about The replicants are better if they can reproduce That's literally Jared Leto's story So it makes no sense for this Halachi, Lach, uh, uh, Lackey henchman Replicant to be I'm better than you Just because I can beat you in a fight If you can't get pregnant Clearly Jared Leto sees you as disposable But I, but I don't think Well yes he does think everybody's disposable That is the Jared Leto character but we're, Which we're never going to see fleshed out Because we're never going to make another one of these movies ever again and but I think it also there's a there's a theme to this movie that I I don't uh, not a theme eh, maybe a theme are you through giving line, obsolescence between the replicants no 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 no, 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 no. I don't care oh, about okay that. okay I don't care I'll, about I'll that. talk about that later I have some thoughts on that but, but this is the thing that, this is the thing that you also have to think of now and this is one of those things that Hollywood moguls jerk and not just Hollywood moguls but just industrialist anybody who has a certain Net worth that's over a certain point mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. all jerk themselves Off to the notion of AI like, like we see we see Bill Gates talk About this we see all these Silicon Valley assholes talk about This the fact of like what AI means and blah blah blah, blah. And that's probably a big Theme especially considering that Ridley Scott Is so, still so hung up on Deckard Being a replicant oh yeah that I could see them try. I could see a theme of this movie trying to be, and I don't even think the movie harps on it. It's probably not even something Denis Villeneuve wanted to do. If I had to guess, is the idea of what would, what does the meaning of life mean to artificial intelligence? Mm, I think I, I, I agree with Rob. Beep boop trash cans don't understand what that means because they inherently don't have a soul, and I. I don't think that matters in science fiction, whether unless you're doing okay. whimsical science. If you're doing Star Wars science fiction, then yes, <laughs> an argument can be made that C3PO, R2D2 have souls. And are in the they, context of those. They know universe, to scream when they fall. <laughs> yes. I, I think you can argue whether those sort of robots have souls. But in the context of and I think there's a difference between a a droid, as in like Star Wars droid TM, and Artificial intelligence android In a very grounded story mm, I think this is something we'll have to talk about Next week with Alien Well yes and no because I, yes. Well absolutely yes with Ian Holm Ian Holm is the best depiction of an android Ever as far as I'm concerned Until one point in the movie where it makes literally no sense but and we'll, okay, and we'll get tune to that in, in next time. week for when Zach and Rob yell at each other yeah, again. Yes, yes, because <laughs> I I disagree with that creative choice because I don't think that has any relevance in the movie. What yeah, happens with Ian? So, okay, no, I'm, no, I'm no, gonna, it's a great no, I'm it's a hide. great it's a great scene. 
But in the context of do robots have souls, it has no purpose in the movie. It has I the best so- purpose in the movie. We'll talk about that next time. I know, I know, I know what we're getting. <laughs> Anybody who's seen Alien knows what Rob's talking about right Like now. I said before, folks, say goodbye to the Paul Bartell series. <laughs> we're not we're not talking about sexuality anymore. Things get a lot more complicated. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, yes. hear, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, Zach, that it is it is this Ridley Scott narrative and he's coming at it from so many different directions. And we're looking at it just from the perspective of Blade Runner right now. And it's tough to get a handle on without that grandy, more grand sense of scale. Absolutely. But I don't think that would make a difference. Though, I think they would just continue to muddle it up. It's like it's like, what the hell is the, the Marvel movies about? What are they about? Like there's no meaning to the Marvel mm-hmm. movies other than printing money because they don't have a theme. Exactly. Their, their job, their job is to exist. It's kind of like what's the meaning of a Happy Meal toy? The meaning of a Happy Meal toy is to money. sit there, yeah, to make money. And that's why that's it was a, something. That's a good point. That's a good point. Where if if anybody, be it before the Marvel universe, any film had a franchise able to print that much money, they would have done whatever they needed to do to print that money. And that's why, again, like that's the reason why also blockbuster filmmaking now is so shallow or infinitely more shallow than it was previously because none of this stuff is being made because, okay, it's, it's the George Lucas quote from Charlie Rose a few years ago. Making a movie is like hiring a professional gambler and telling them to come, to, come back, go to the tables and come back with double of what you gave them. That's not the goal anymore. The goal is not to be like, okay, movies are an industry. If we give Ridley Scott a hundred million dollars, he how he thinks he'll make us a product that can make us a film that connects with audiences and he will quadruple our money. Yeah. That that used to be that was the model for decades. Now the model is we're going to micromanage every single step of the process because market research tells us this what this is what the audience wants. And if we push the buttons a certain way, like almost like a very expensive version of the game of Simon, then we will unlock all the money if we do that. That's the <laughs> nice. problem. That's the problem. And that's where when you do get a movie that, yes, is convoluted and you don't agree with, we at least have to appreciate it because it's trying. It's trying to do all these things. Blade Runner 2049 is probably the best example I can give is is if the Marvel movies ever just attempted to have a soul. If they ever attempted to have deep meaning to them. And that's the problem. This is the best you're ever going to get to that level. You know, when you when you say that that way, you you struck kind of a chord with me because at the beginning of this whole conversation, you know, I was the one saying, like, who gives a fuck? Like what they're trying for, like, blah, blah, blah. But when you put it that way, you're kind of striking the chord with how I feel about when I teach there. There's. You have the great students that really understand everything and they're going to be the prodigies, you know, and they deserve those good grades. But at the same time, when I teach my undergrads, I want to give those good grades to the students that are trying. I said for years in my classes on math and statistics, you just have to show me that you care or you have to show me that you are pretending to care. (laughs) And. And that's you're okay. You're making more sense to me, Zach, with this opinion, because even though I might not get what these movies are going for or trying to be the performance of them making an effort into this, you know, theatrical scale that does deserve something. You're you're this is hell. 
even not even for our audience, just peek behind the curtain. This is why Rob talks to Zach, because Zach can make him think in different ways. And you're hitting that nail on the head. We just got it on a recording for once. <laughs> See, folks, I'm, succeed- I'm succeeding where I failed with men, women, and children and private well, yes, parts. That's a, well, yeah, any, any movie that is offensive – well, no, private parts <laughs> is a cinematic masterpiece. Uh, any movie like Men, Women, and Children or It Follows that is inherently offensive to me, you can't <laughs> teach me. You cannot change my opinion. But for a movie like this where I think it's just nonsense, you can give me these opinions and I'm going to start to see, okay, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. For Blade Runner 2049, not Men, Women, and Children. That is a deeply <laughs> offensive movie that deserves to be stricken from the face of the earth. <laughs> no. Same as Jurassic, War- Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park and Men, Women, really? and Children. Really? Are we really are deeply equating? offensive movie? Yes! Yes! We've talked about this. I can't, so believe we're equi- I, can't, I can't believe we're equating Men, Women, and Children and... And Jurassic Park. That's, they are both stupidly ooh, offensive that no one play, should ever watch them again. We are playing the goat sound because that was, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that was that was. This is a folks, culmination. Feel, hey, Zach, we we we're past two years. The gloves are coming off now. <laughs> now, you know what, folks? I think I might te- need some sunscreen after that hot take. That was. <laughs> ooh, I thought you were going to say you need a you need a therapist after that. <laughs> that was that was ooh that was intense. I, yeah, I did in, not expect that. Incredibly offensive movies deserve to be stricken from the face of the earth, but this was not incredibly offensive. This is something that I could be you know discussed like we have into understanding it better, and I think that's what Zach is on the process of doing. But you can't do that for men, women, and children or Jurassic Park. Because ours are stupidly offensive movies. Hey, another one. It follows. That's a stupidly offensive movie. There's that's no schlock. redeeming quality. That's schlock, though. That's that's no, meant to schlock, be a movie. Schlock can be fun. Offensive and schlock are different categories. Okay. But Bad boys I, is schlock. I think it you're, follows you're, is offensively you're, if, stupid. If you're judging it follows as offensive, you are you are ju- you are giving it more credit than it deserves. If you're judging it at that level. Hey, Zach has still not seen Under the Silver Lake. Anybody who can make a movie as great and as deep and as intrinsically fantastic and thought-provoking as Under the Silver Lake. And their previous movie was It Follows. It's not. It's it's offensive. It's offensive. Tune in next month. Fine. Fine. Uh, depends on how oh. much of a it depends on how much of a sadist I am. We might have to do it follows from October just so I can. Have oh his no! Oh god! Well, that well, yeah, I that like, is kind of a, I a, like that is kind it. of a Monstober movie. Yeah, I like it follows. I have no like I'll never yeah, defend I don't know. it I don't know. at the same mm-hmm. level as I'm defending Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But I enjoy it follows the same way I enjoy a Dairy Queen Blizzard. I have it maybe <laughs> once a year. And it's nice. Like, is it gonna make me fat if I eat it all the time? Sure, but I enjoy it as a once in a while treat. It's like imagine, imagine eating a Dairy Queen Blizzard and being like, "This is offensive." You're giving it too much credit if you're judging it on that level. Like, that's all I'm saying. That so that that's a good point about it follows for sure. That, it's not that meant is, to be. I think by by judging it that. Analogy. I, by enjoying it, I'm sorry, by critiquing it at that level, you are inherently giving it more credit than I ever can. I'm just letting you know, if you're putting it on a higher plateau than I ever could, just let me know. Just, just imagining the editing you're going to have to do to make my, your point, coherent with the amount of laughter I just screamed at at the microphone. That was great. If, you, if you're judging, it follows as offensive. It's like calling a blizzard offensive. <laughs>
that is that is that is great, Zach. Hey, once again, this is why we do this podcast. Zach can make those analogies. That's fucking fantastic. I'm glad, Rob. I'm glad. Oh, um, Cinemodities, the only ride you get off six times <laughs> per episode. Per episode. Um, but yeah, back oh, to Blade awesome. Runner 2049. Um, oh, I, I get, okay, Rob liked that. Um, the, okay, the thing about Blade Runner 2049, going back to the point I was making, is that a lot, like the big thing now, this is also, Rob, what do you think of the movie Ex Machina? Did you, did you see, ever see that? I have, I have never seen that, uh, because I think the last time we talked about it and you made a mention, um, that was the same guy that did Annihilation? <laughs> Uh, uh, so I never watched it after that, because, but I did look into it. And when I read the synopsis of that movie, I went like I read the synopsis going, it's about a Turing test. And I went, "Uh oh, beep, boop, trash cans. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I have a copy of it because someone I know really fucking likes it. Um, and it's the same person that really likes a lot of movies I don't like. So I didn't really look into it, um, but I've never seen it. No, it's OK. Very, if you want to know what Blade Runner 2049 would look like, infinitely worse in the shape it is in right now when it comes to the beep boop trash mm-hmm. can nonsense, it's that movie. That movie, I everybody holds that movie in such high regard. I absolutely abhor that movie. That's, uh, I, that's Dumb Hall Gleason, right? And uh, Poe Dameron okay, and okay, Alicia, yeah. Alicia Vikander, I think. Oh, okay. And yes, yes. I, I think that's the worst case example of the beep boop trash can dilemma. And that's kind of the benchmark I judge all of these movies by, whether it be ah. Star Wars, is that this at least is trying. Ryan Gosling is an android, is not trying to have world power or conquer his fellow people. The point of Ryan Gosling's character in this is that like, he's literally just going through the motions. And that's what the baseline test is. He's just, he's good old K. He's he never rocks the boat. He's just and that's the thing that I think this film is trying to have that level of intersubjectivity of putting yourself into someone else's shoes. K is a blank slate. He's the everyman. He's somebody who's just going through the motions of life until he's presented with the opportunity of having greater meaning and I or greater purpose in life. I'm not yeah. don't don't yeah, that's, that's what you said earlier, right? That he was trying to find purpose. Yes, and I don't even mean that in the context of a beep boop trash can trying to find greater purpose. I mean as an audience avatar. And that's the thing is that he's just a guy going through the motions. And this is one thing I do love about this movie is that it's the anti or it's the antithetical Harry Potter thing through pretty much what two third, what a third of the movie, the middle third of it. We're led to believe that he's the chosen one. Oh yeah. They, they had me convinced. I was most of a lot of my notes are like, well, what the fuck? If he's a replicant kid, how was he back in society? How do you get a serial number? But that's not the case. Of course, you're right. Yes. And that's the thing I love about this is that about, I wouldn't even, I'd say about three quarters of the way through, we have the, the, the woman who's in charge of all the replicants for some reason, or the, the replicant revolution. And she kind of comes in with him and just laughs in his face. And it's like, he cut, like, LOL, good one. And that's essentially <laughs> what, what, and that's what she does. And he kind of, yeah. again, as much acting as Ryan Gosling can do in this moment, has this kind of moment of stoic devastation. And she kind of turns around to him and goes, sometimes being the chosen one doesn't really matter. It's just a, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase this a little bit better. Being, having the, the notion or, or the aura of being the chosen one isn't 
the purpose of life. Sometimes just having the choice is the power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he eventually shows up at the very end with Deckard. Like he's given quote unquote, the assignment to kill Deckard because he can't be allowed to live because replicant revolution. And that's half. And I, I can see that whole subplot is half baked because it was designed to, to lead into other movies. And yeah, and I think that's fair to judge the movie on because a movie should be a contained product. If you want to have stories to tell later, that's fine, but they can't come across as loose plot threads to be picked up contingent on a success of something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a really neat choice. That sometimes you don't have to be the chosen one in order to have an impact in life. All you have to do is be an individual with free will, and you can make your own decisions. And I think that is a plot element that, that transcends not just what our replicant android character is going through it's for something for people in real life so you do not have to be the hero you do not have to be superman you don't have to be wonder woman it's just the notion of being a person and making that choice you don't have to kill deckert you can your actions you can save him and even though it might cost you your own life in the context of the movie you at least opened up a whole nother world for an individual who had given up on their life for the last 30 years or Mm. however long 28 years and that's whether you i think that's a neat message to have considering that the first movie literally had no message at all (laughs) it's true true that's where I'm judging it. That's where I am infinitely more forgiving of this movie because this movie's at least it's like kind of like Rob said, show me you're trying. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you, but that I think that's where I have the discrepancy is that I'm not yes in re, in relativistically to the first Blade Runner, this is infinitely better. Yes. But it's it's basically taking like if I rated the first Blade Runner 0 out of 10, I would give this a one out of 10 and one over zero is infinity. So I'm agreeing with you there. It it does things better, but not better in a way that I wanted them to be. And that's a matter of preference at the end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know Zach, Zach and I understand that. Absolutely. And uh, we could argue about that for days, but I love the point that you're making about that uh, because you're, you're absolutely right that this is actually giving us a message that, we didn't expect or see from the Blade Runner franchise series, whatever you want to call it prior to this. Yeah. And I think it's even something that's a little bit, at least I guess I'm also judging it by the blockbuster metric. Like Mm. what is, what is the moral of the story to Avengers infinity war? What's the moral of the story to Avengers Endgame? Buy another ticket, buy another ticket. ticket. (laughs) Like as much as I love star Wars, what is the moral of the rise of Skywalker? There is none. It's buy another ticket. Mm-hmm. And that's the hey, thing. Hey, Mandalorian season two is coming out, everybody. Hey, hey. <laughs> well, the moral of the story of Mandalorian is buy as much Baby Yoda as you can. That's just oh, fuck Baby Yoda. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope that I hope that we get like I I think I said to Zach off mic we're gonna get an army of Baby Yodas in Mandalorian season two, but that's beside the point. Like, and they're all gonna have jetpacks. <laughs> but no, no, I, they'd I, be af- they'd be afraid to do that because they'd be afraid it would uh, what's the word. Uh, dilute the character. They'd be afraid to do that. You're gonna get Baby Yoda with a jetpack. Like that's 100 percent gonna happen. <laughs> but, but but not more than one Baby no, Yoda. No, because they'd be afraid that would dilute the character. What that's about the one? What about one Baby Yoda with 20 jetpacks? Yes, yes. <laughs> there you go. I can get on and board he's with shooting that. some off as like projectile missiles. Yes, in the yes. battle. Yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, there we go. Oh, We're on the same page God. now. Goddamn man, but that's. Uh, but that's the point, though. Is that think of all the blockbusters that came out last year. Like, think of like what is the 
the moral of the story to um I'm trying to think of other movies that came out in 2017, like other blockbusters. Wonder Woman. What was the moral of the story to that? There was none. Yeah, beat the evil. The, beat the, the most evil. basic, yeah, the most basic moral there ever will be. Beat the evil. Yeah, it's like what was the moral? Like, well, okay, I got. I, I haven't done. Because oh god, I'm afraid to go to the box office mojo. It's like <laughs> uh, it, it's it's the equivalent of non flashback, non flashback. Anytime I think about going to that uh, website, it's like I, I, I can't even, navigate. Even you know, some we mentioned earlier, like Knives Out, find the criminal. It was a whodunit. Of course, that's the concept of whodunits, but that was the point of that movie. Find the find the bad guy. Yeah, but there's at least other stuff going on in that movie. I'm I'm Ryan Johnson's an, uh, an exception. I'm willing to give him sure, credit. Sure. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, I I was watching Blade Runner 2049 and waiting for Anna de Armas to vomit, and I was very upset she didn't. Uh, <laughs> but like, okay, look look. Look at the top the ten highest out gro- joke, everybody. Yes. <laughs> top ten highest grossing films of. Uh, well, I say, I say, I say. <laughs> good old Daniel Craig doing his Foghorn Leghorn Daniel, impersonation. Daniel Leghorn, Foghorn Leghorn. I, I, oh my god, I, I, I get it. I get this. Is what's so funny is if I want to be like Rob, I could eviscerate that performance, but it's a, it was a creative decision. Just because I don't like something, I cannot eviscerate it if it's done I, intentionally and it succeeds I, I, at what it's attempting to do. I agreed with Zach on that one. It was not me that eviscerated that performance. But after I saw that movie with about a group of six people, uh, a there was a couple we saw it with. And as we were walking back from the movie theater, the couple said, I think Daniel Craig was trying too hard. I didn't like that performance. And that couple fought hardcore for the remainder of the night about that. And it got to a point where we were like, this isn't about the movie anymore. Like, this is about relationship problems. And it was very awkward. <laughs> I bet. So Daniel Craig, thank you. You caused a domestic disturbance in my group of friends. <laughs> All right. So these are the top five grossing films of in the U.S. for 2017. Okay. Number five is Spider-Man Homecoming. And what Fuck is the that. point of that movie? What is the point of that know. movie, Rob? Uh, fuck it. That's but, the point. Of the, uh, buy another ticket. How buy another that? ticket. Yeah, buy another ticket. Number yeah. four is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume wow. 2. Buy another ticket. And the third movie is Wonder Woman. Oh, it, that, buy another ticket for a different studio. Yes. <laughs> and number two is the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. Really? Yep. Oh, God. I feel nauseous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-huh. Was that was that um Hermione Granger from yes. Harry Potter? Yep. Who played the Beast? Do you know the guy? The guy from the Guest. Remember him, Rob? Remember the bad guy from the Guest, the Terminator Man? No. Do you remember the? Do you remember the movie The Guest, Rob? With the guy? I that, do. Like, but I don't. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm have, I'm getting a headache. <laughs> I don't remember his name. I will never remember his name unless I look it up. But I'm I'm gonna just believe you. Okay, let's go forward. And the and the highest grossing movie was Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Oh, okay, okay. And that, I thought you were going to say Avengers: Colon Avengers: Colon Avengers, <laughs> but that was, was a no, different year. There yeah. was there was no Avengers movie. Yeah, we year. had we had Spider Man. Okay, okay. Spider Man: Guardians of the Galaxy. But no, like obviously the last Spider Man: Colon the Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't laugh. That's coming. <laughs> Don't laugh. That's coming. No, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Zach. I gave them more ideas. You, Rob, you're not giving. Nobody's giving them ideas. They are. True they that. are. They are True self-sustaining that. at this point. 
Um, but no, like that's the point though, is that this is where I am infinitely more forgiving of this because it's giving us something like it's kind of like in Rob, if you go to a restaurant and you feel it really feel like a hamburger and they offer you at least a decent meatloaf, that's better than eating, I don't know, garbage from the dumpster. If you're in the mood for a hamburger and the restaurant's offering you a decent meatloaf. Yes, yes. You're not wrong, Zach, but I think this goes back to what we were saying in the beginning is that, you know, you, you know, not to not to stroke your ego, man, but this is why I love talking to you because you have this macro view of things. And when I sit down one night to spend three hours on a fucking Blade Runner movie, I'm only thinking about the Blade Runner movie. But you're right. I, I get what you're saying, but I think that's our conflicting opinions and viewpoints and perspectives on some of this stuff. Because you you are right. If I had that macro view, we'd probably be more in line. But I, I don't. I'd sit here and go, okay, here's Blade Runner 2049. I'm going to watch it tonight. Oh, my God, it's three hours long. I text Zach, why? Why? Why is this movie three hours long? And I don't watch it till two days after that. <laughs> indeed, folks. Indeed, I can corroborate that. That, that did that did so. happen. I I I literally. Um, I also have to say that I think shortly after that, I said, Zach, I have some bad news. There's going to be more Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. <laughs> but but I think to get to the heart of it is that I. Once again, not to reiterate, I think I've said it a bunch now on this episode of this podcast, is that this is why we do it. We have these different perspectives, but that's where a lot of our disagreements come from, because I look at these things in a vacuum, whereas, you know, Zach has that macro view. If this podcast was switched, if we were talking about, you know, like uh, aspects of calculus, where I would say, Zach, learn this one thing about calculus, we're going to talk about it, I'm going to have that macro view. We are just different people in that aspect, and that's why we get these great perspectives on it, for sure. All right, Rob, I'm going to introduce because uh, we're going. Okay, I want. Oh, you want to talk now. about calculus? <laughs> no, I want to transition <laughs> to Anna de Armas, and I have. Oh. Go- I, I, have oh. I have. I have bad news and good news, Rob. I only have bad news because Anna de Armas, while she is a beautiful Stop. person. Okay, I'm stopping. Don't say anything Stop. bad about Anna Armas. Bad news: she was married in 2011. Good news: well, she got di- she got divorced in 2013. You know, you know what I'm going to ask. You have to know what I'm going to ask you right now, Zach. I love Anna Armas so much. Does she di- smoke? <laughs> Ooh. You know, Ooh, I, I had to ask you that. To- does she? she? Smoke does she? In this movie? No, she's not in this movie. She doesn't smoke at all. No, in general, she does she smoke? Well, no, I smoking? don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Just, and Darmus, I know you listen to this podcast. Do you smoke? There's it's not a, a deal breaker. There's do got to. There's got to be like because all the weird perverts on the internet. There's got to be a picture of her smoking if she smokes. I'm I'm kind of I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence with Anna Darmus because she is beautiful, but. I'm not a big fan of the cherub look because she's got those chubby cheeks and like the smile is so overzealous, I feel. There's actually like, a website that documents all this. There's actually a website that documents that, that like that, I, like the cars they drive, like relationship. Oh my God, this is legit. Like women? Like women? Like women in celebrities. Hollywood? Celebrities, yeah. Okay, tell me the web. Tell me the URL. I'm about to type this shit in. I kind of don't want to. Okay, no. I, uh, send it to me on Facebook. Like I gotta. She, like, come on. Okay, this is legit a thing. Here's a bullet point. Does Anna De Armas smoke? Oh no. my god. No, never. She's never been caught smoking. <sighs> it's not a deal breaker. You know, 
Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to smoke, but how do they know her feet size? When you do, oh my god! Okay, wow, this just this took a whole nother level. <laughs> this took a whole nother level. Oh, man. If you oh, thought no, Rob I, was I, weird I, for asking think, if people smoked, I, I think feet sizes I, are a whole different story. I think we found out what who creates this site, and your name rhymes with Schmidt and Smarantino. Oh, uh, Dan, hold her tighter. She's a fighter, Schneider. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> So, so I guess we, we confirmed to... and Armis does not smoke. Mm. That's Lucy disappointing. Lou, do you smoke? <laughs> <Let me know. laughs> you, you can look it up now. You can look Bruno, it up now. You didn't give me the fucking website. I, 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 the sent website. I sent it to you on Facebook. Okay. Well, okay. Everybody, every in the audience, go get a, uh, go get, Is go it? get a Coke or something. Drink. <laughs> cause, uh, cause Zach sent me some information that I need to look up. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, no, okay, okay, ignore the two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour alien documentary. <laughs> Lucy Lou up in this shit. Goddamn. Because I'll, I'll give you, Anna DeArmas, she's great, but Lucy Lou, you know, takes the cake. Have you ever seen, okay, while Rob looks this up, I can talk at him. Have you ever seen, what else have you seen Anna DeArmas in besides Knives Out? Ooh. That's a good question. I feel like I saw one of her foreign language films once. Oh, really? Okay. I've never seen it. Yeah, but I don't remember a lot about it. I would have to look up uh, what she was in to... Well, these these are her major... Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was War Dogs. That's what I saw her in. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was... That um, I saw her first in that, and I'm like, oh, like, as like... The annoying girlfriend character to like Miles Teller. I'm like, she's good, like for yeah. what that role like asks for. And then I saw her in this, and I'm like, oh, that's the same woman. And I remember hearing stuff about like, oh, <clears throat> like she was. I remember like when Ryan Johnson cast her. I'm like, oh, okay, like there's potential there. And then like like with Knives Out, like I guess spoiler alert that she's like the main character of the movie. Hmm. Hmm. And she has oh, a great yeah, job. Absolutely. Yeah, and she was going to be in uh, James Bond No Time to Die, somebody, and I was disappointed. Like, I was like, that was like my most anticipated film of the year. And then uh, the whole world had to conk out, and that got ruined for me. But you know what movie I just realized that she's in that I, I, I'd seen? And actually, it's on the spread. It was one of the first movies I ever add to the spreadsheet. Have you ever seen Eli Ross Knock Knock with Keanu Reeves? Oh my God! Oh my God! Breaking news! I'm sorry to cut you off, Zach. According to this website that you sent me, it says, "Does Lucy lose smoke?" And the uh, answer uh, is uh. yes, regularly. Oh, oh, oh! Okay, we're gonna about to take, we're about to take a ten minute break. Rob has to go rub one out real quick. Oh my God, dude! Oh, oh my God! Oh. Oh, Lucy Lou. Oh, okay. Okay. Composure. Regain, Zach. I'm this this is gonna be we might have to do a whole bonus episode about this website you just sent me because I've never heard about this before. But holy shit. Okay, composure regained. What what were you asking me about, Anna de Armis or whatever the fuck you were saying? Cause Lucy Lou smokes. Oh my god, then say what she smokes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Lucy Lou hit me up <laughs> on the same website. It says you're not pregnant and not expecting. <laughs> we don't know how regularly that's updated. Hit me up. 
<laughs> oh my god, Zach. Woo! Okay, okay, Zach. I'm sorry, I'm, folks. I'm if you, you want, if you want a physical representation, if you want to see a real life representation of what Rob's going through right now, there's a moment in Blade Runner 2049 where Harrison Ford locks a door and Ryan Gosling just jumps through a wall. <laughs> That's what Rob is going through right now. <laughs> Lucy Lou, somebody in our audience, please do a supercut where Lucy Lou runs to the door and locks it, and I burst through the fucking concrete to get to her. That's amazing. Oh my god. Oh, I'm not wrong, folks. I'm not wrong. We two years, Zach. Two years. This is what we're. This is what we're doing. Two years of cinema. Oh my god. Okay. Okay, Zach. I'm. I'm. You know, to, you, okay, Rob, I want to add to the spreadsheet is a note for the third year extravaganza. Oh, God, really? We're going we're gonna to go through this website, pick out our favorite actors. You know how long that is for now? It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. That's what we'll do, Rob. Less we're going to <laughs> That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pick out our favorite actors and actresses that um that smoke or whatever weird confirmation we need of their personality traits and hobbies. I mean, sure. I mean, I, I'll, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Smoking cigarettes is bad for you. It's something I don't even do. I don't smoke tobacco. But God damn, I don't know what it is. Women smoking cigarettes is fucking hot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it touches me in a weird way. Oh, God. Lucy, so, Rob. So, Rob. Lucy, how is it? You corn dog? <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, Zach. I'm done. I'm done. We gotta. We, we could spend a little, a literal hour of me just talking about Lucy Liu, but we—that's not this episode. So yes, Rob. I'm sorry. Uh, here we go. Go for it, Rob. Tell me about the the robot hologram sex scene. Oh, okay. We have. Yeah, we were on end of the armis. We have to talk about this. Um, I have, I have two things to say about this. One is in the context of this franchise and possible sequels. One is in the sense of, what the fuck am I watching? This was so weird to me. And I want to, even before we got to the three-way or two-and-a-half-way sex scene between two replicants and a a hologram, I had the note, I'm going to read it verbatim, this hologram girlfriend played by Anna de Armas is some insanely weird and creepy sex robot shit, and I don't know if I like it. <laughs> when she first appears in the movie, that was my feeling. But then it goes on to me making the note, hologram woman wanting to be real for replicant baby man so it projects over a real person is so fucking weird. I kind of like that. This made me really uncomfortable because in the context of the movie, just to get everybody on board, we have a we have a person who we don't know is a replicant yet. We find out as a replicant later, uh, played by Dylan Roof Terminator. Yes, this this replicant is there to be synced up with Anna de Armas sex hologram. She's not a sex hologram. She's a girlfriend she's a hologram. Girlfriend hologram. Yeah, you're right. She's not sexually active. She's very much like, you know, it's the um, girlfriend experience. Yeah, I I would describe it as like kind of the housewife experience it seems. Sure. And 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 somehow 
housewife hologram recruits Dylan Roof Terminator so they can sync up together so Dylan Roof Terminator's face will kind of look like housewife hologram and she can touch and feel and fuck Ryan Gosling who's a replicant. This is so weird. This is really weird to me. And I guess just to put in perspective, in terms of the real world, Rob legitimately has the opinion that sex dolls are weird. Rob does not like sex dolls. I don't know what Zach's opinions are on sex dolls. You know what? On the Rob version of this website, we will make sure to make a note that says sex dolls equal big no. Don't send me a sex doll because as we've talked on this podcast, Chucky dolls, uh, dark crystal puppets. They all make me weirded out. I don't want a sex doll in my apartment cause they look way too human. I'm not okay with that. Uh, I I'm, I'm just against this. This scene is a very, from what I can gather and what I've researched, this is a very simple effect of overlaying video. Sure. Like this, yeah. this was, this was nothing new. This was nothing groundbreaking to get, you know, Mackenzie Davis and Anna DeArmas to kind of blend in and out of each other and even though zach can't see my video i'm doing this little hand thing where they're blending in and out of each other um i i was very much creeped out by this scene but here's the thing when this movie finished when well or not i shouldn't say finished when this movie got to kind of the bulk of it with the fact that there was a replicant baby and she was going to lead the revolution the only thing i could think was oh they got Ryan Gosling replicant to fuck Dylan Roof Terminator replicant. The next movie, Blade Runner 2179, whatever the hell it'll be called, <laughs> they're going to have a baby together. Right? That, that's the only reason for this to exist, is that these two replicants are going to fuck and they're going to be able to reproduce. Well, sure, that's one way of reading it. I don't disagree I, and, there. And that, and that is why I hated it. Because when I was watching that scene in the movie, I was like, is, is this just like Ridley Scott and Denis Villeneuve saying this is the sex scene that they can do because it's between our two sexual characters of the hologram and the replicant? Or is it to set up something bigger, which I strongly believe now after seeing the rest of the movie, is that what, is what the movie is going for, is that replicants can have sex and reproduce, and this will be the second coming of that. And this... This movie was kind of the 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 uh, the the coming, the resurgence of religion. The sequel to this movie will be the second coming when, you know, things get like I'm, I'm ta- like when I was thinking about this, I'm thinking the sequel to this, whatever you call it, Blade Runner 42069 Blaze It. I think we talked about last week like that movie is going to start with, well, they killed the memory woman because she was too dangerous to humanity, but two other replicants fucked and they made a baby. And that's what this movie's about. And, and that's another part where this movie lost me because I felt like that was being set up so clearly for a sequel. Uh, I never thought of it that way. I know what you're getting at. Uh, in the context of this film, I've always seen that. I, I've always found the Mackenzie Davis character showing up being a little like it's, I always wonder like how did how did Joy the hologram girlfriend get into contact with Mackenzie Davis and but this is where I do think it's a little contrived for the plot because the only reason why Mackenzie Davis shows up is to put the tracking bug 
in his coat pocket for them to later find him well, in yeah, Harrison Ford's I, like high I give, rise. I give you that, but the thing that broke this wide open for me was that scene when we get Mackenzie Davis going through. Uh, I sorry, Dylan Roof Terminator going through uh, Ryan Gosling's room, and Anna's Armas hologram shows up, and she's like, "What are you doing? We're done with you. We're ready to leave." And very clearly, Mackenzie Davis says the line, "I've been inside of you. There's nothing there." And that to me says, when when Mackenzie Davis says, "There's nothing inside you." She's saying there's something now inside me, the seeds of a future replicant humanity. Well, I took oh, it as, sure. As That's your pregnancy. I've got, no, I've got, I've got no problem with that. Um, I, I, again, I could see them pull it. If they ever did make a third Blade Runner movie and they want to continue this uh, storyline. Yeah. I, I don't know, but again, I, how I interpret that is it's more that tech Valley tech industry bs of the the differentiation between different forms of ai because think about it there is a level of i don't want to say classism but there's almost like a different layers of artificial intelligence in this movie yeah, you yeah, have I, I think i think classism or casteism is yes. a great way to put it yeah because think, think about it because you have replicants which are for in the context of this movie, the next closest thing to human beings. And then you have holograms, which are somewhat close, but also like, but also are physically removed mm -hmm. because you even have a moment in this too, when love destroys the little, where you want to call it, uh, emanator, emanator, the emanator. Yep. The emanator that right before she steps on it, Joyce shows up to Fuck tell yeah. Joe that she loves him. Please, please, yeah. please. No, no, no. That's the stupid. That's one of yeah. the stupidest parts of this movie. <sighs> Folks, one day he's going to fail his baseline test, and he's going to realize that he's a, <laughs> no, he's, no, he's, he's a replicant. I failed it already. I failed it already, Zach. I'm but never allowed to be a part of the police corps because I failed my baseline test. <laughs> but yes, that's that's the thing is that I think there is a. It's the point that there's more to these non. What's the word? Flesh and blood beings. More non-flesh than blood, because obviously they can bleed. We see that from a, a couple times. Oh, sure. But, but I think the point is that beings that the, all of these different artificial intelligence creatures or beings do have that capacity, and I do think that's the sort of like kind of like half cooked or even fr like one tenth cooked ideas that it's trying to introduce. I. Again, the whole thing of her saying I love you, I get it in the context of the movie. I get it is what they're trying to present that this oh, was because sure. the whole point of her saying that is to then lead into the moment later on when he's kind of wallowing in his own misery in the pouring rain. He has the bandage on his nose and he sees the Joe the, the joy hologram and he realizes oh, the giant that her, naked lady. The giant naked lady. And he realizes That's my note, giant naked lady. <laughs> that he realizes that the entire thing is just a sham. Yep, Everything it is that joy a product, and that's what it. And I think that's what ties. That's what makes the love thing. The love thing's not there to convey beep boop trash can nonsense. It's there to make that emotional sting for the character all the more potent. I think that's what it's there for. So he thought he was ha he was feeling something profound or mm. having a profound moment. And at the end of the day, even the fact that the the giant naked lady advertisement says 
Eckhart, you can was it has the word Joe in the advertisement. Yep, yep. That's, you, that's, you can be uh, you can be my regular Joe, Joe, that type of thing. And that's the point. Is that, that that's where I will give you that that part of the movie worked for what it was going for in that message. Because even earlier, when you know Ryan Gosling goes to the Wallace Corp and talks to Love, we get the scene where Love is like, "I see that you are a user of our product, Joy. How do you like it?" And he's like, "It's great." And he doesn't really let it sink in that it's just a product. It takes that advertisement at the end for him to realize that when what he, he you know, realizes what he kind of it, it's a, it's another plot push forward. I can't remember. Well, he breaks something in that scene where he's saying, like, oh, this is what I need to give up to reach my full purpose type of thing. And I'll give you that. That that works. Absolutely. Because it, not only does it work in the sense of thematically, but it works in the sense of visually. Because to him, Anna de Armas is, you know, the, the brunette girl in some fancy dresses uh, here and there. And when he finally sees the advertisement, it's Anna de Armas with blue hair in a pink dress, you know, takes off her clothes. She's naked, giant naked lady, talking about how she's ready to, you know, satisfy his desires. And that's finally a true grandiose separation between what we've gotten and what is real for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. And I, that, that worked for me. And of course, you know, I mean like giant, giant naked lady, that's, that's just something every movie needs. Right. <laughs> sure. Rob, if only she was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> well, no, she was a hologram just like in last week's blade runner. If a hologram or a robot smokes a cigarette, it does nothing, you know? Uh, um, I'm trying to think what else was There's there very that. specific rules to the smoking and Rob's attraction. Okay, Zach? <laughs> oh, there's rules? Okay, good. good. I, make I everybody in the audience make... Who, who do we got? We've got Scott, E, and Emily. Make a bingo card about very, Rob's attraction. <laughs> very disappointed that nobody's team Zach yet when it comes to Cinema Hotties audience. Well, I mean, very, you know, Zach, just, just eat that disappointment. Barry, nope, Barry, Miss, Barry, Mrs. Barry, team I don't know, Zach I don't know how to say Rob? this. I don't know how to say this to you. Nobody's team Zach, okay? <laughs> You just have to bite that bullet, man. <laughs> no. But okay, one final as thing. Much of- as that hurts me because I love you, Zach. Nobody's team Zach. Oh, geez. Um, okay, one final thing about Anna de Armas before we, before we switch I don't gears. Know. I, I feel like that was very mean. That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> Again, remember, folks, the worst thing Rob has ever done to me on this podcast is the meanest thing he's ever said ever to me. And our audience knows this, and Rob oh, knows it. He's never hurt me. Children? He's never no, no. I, Rob's wrong. I'm only, he, he's ignorant. I can forgive ignorance. But the worst thing, the, <laughs> the worst thing he's ever done to me is say, "True Detective season two oh. is better than season one." You mean you mean when I stated a fact, it hurt you more than anything? There, see, I, he wants to hurt me now. I know that, and that's when he brings it up. He's doing that on purpose. <sighs> see, <sighs> see here. Yeah, see, there you go. I don't know. Maybe, maybe now you're saying we need to do we need to do a series where we watch both of these seasons again and we continue to hurt each other further. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I get enough hurt. I don't need. I don't need. I don't need to do it for sport. <laughs> oh my god! Pain comes. Pain comes naturally enough. I don't need to do it for vanity. Hey, but uh, once again, I will say they're both great. But season two is better. <laughs> see, folks, he's doing. He's at it again. Zach, I'm sorry. Put the razor blade down. I'm sorry, Zach. No, no. Put the noose back. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. One final thing. Have you have you ever seen Eli Ross knock knock with Keanu Reeves? No. 
you like that. I've, I don't think I've heard that, of that. That's huh? it's I, I saw it when it first came out and I didn't know realize this until now, but one of the two women in that is I, it was one of Anna de Armas's first like role like American roles. Mm-hmm. And that movie is like that movie is a uh, it's a nightmare in the context of like the story it's telling. Like not like bad, not like ah. objectively, but it is like it's the definition of like living the fantasy and then the fantasy falling apart. Um, it gets very monotonous at times, but okay. it's 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 a fun watch. And, like once you can only watch it. It's a movie you watch once and that's it. Cause you don't need to ever watch it again. But Do it's fun. Nubile stranded women reveal a sinister agenda after they spend the night with a married architect. Yep. It's Hot it's damn. okay. It's it's I'll a fun it movie. Um once. It's 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 the equivalent okay. of like okay. you do it once and that's it. Oh, that uh, was her movie not directly before War Dogs. It was two movies before War Dogs. She was in something yeah. called Exposed. Which also had Keanu Reeves, apparently. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, I guess one of the final. Like, I guess we're kind of delving through this movie on like a character by character basis. Um, yes. I just want to say real quick about Robin Wright. I I don't know what movie Robin Wright's character is in, because she seems to have like this grand grand importance in the plot. Yet she's just like what a lieutenant. Oh well, like when when you say Robin Wright's character, are you saying you know it's like she seems like she's doing something she's done before? Well, it's this time that like when like Robin Wright is the actress, like was like this was the time when she thought she was on top of the world. This was right when I think uh, Kevin Spacey got fired off House of Cards. That, that's what this I was is... going to say. I think she's playing the same exact character she is in House yes. of Cards. Absolutely, because yes. I I've seen all of House of Cards, and I honestly, when I saw Robin Wright in this, I was like, wow, she's doing nothing different than House of Cards. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I agree with you, because she, she was real, like, yeah, she channels the Claire Underwood thing big time yes, here. Yes, and even, the, and even The badass, the the grandiose importance of being in a, in a position of authority, and, you know, she doesn't have to deal with the intermingled seasons of her coming out from Kevin Spacey, Frank Underwood, she's just in it, in this movie. Yeah, and that's and then even like this is the same time when one, she was in Wonder Woman and she was doing all oh, that. Yeah. And, and I remember like in the press, like le- like the press stuff for Wonder Woman, she's like, I have a huge. She's like, I have a part in 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 the Justice League. Um, everyone's like, Wait, don't you die in Wonder Woman? Yeah, but they brought me back because they loved what I was doing. <laughs> and she's literally in one like three frames of the movie. I I'm I'm gonna say it. I haven't said it in so long, Zach. But you said it many times in this episode. I'm going for it. Wonder Woman. Oh, it's been so long. Wonder Woman. <laughs> ah, Wonder Woman. I, I am. I think that if the coronavirus thing like blows over and I do get to see Wonder Woman two in theaters, they might kick me out because Rob, I will be Rob. screaming that in theaters. Rob, Rob. Guess what? Guess what the new release date is? Uh, August millionth sixty sixty. August fourteenth. <laughs> So we all you, no! can cel- you can celebrate Ben Affleck's birthday in appropriate <laughs> fashion. Wonder Woman, Ben Affleck's birthday, three days after Martin Press's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was three days. I think he was close to that. <laughs> oh God, that's great. That's great. But yeah, Robin Wright's character. I, I never. I, I think it's kind of like I don't mind the performance, yeah. but it's I just- think that. But I think I don't. The performance isn't wrong. It's just that her title needs to be something higher. She's the motivator, you know. She's the she's sure. the lead. She's just get to. She's just you know for the first you know 
two first half or three quarters of the movie, she's the one who's like gets Ryan Gosling where he needs to go. And then, you know, I, I didn't feel anything when love kills her. I didn't think that was momentous at no. all or anything like that. I kind of like, enjoyed oh, it. Whatever. I kind of, en- I kind of enjoyed it. I'm like, well, yes. When, when love kills her and then she needs to log onto the computer. So she lifts Ro- uh, Robin Wright's head up to do the face scan and then just lets it drop yeah. onto the desk. <laughs> That's hilarious. That was, but the only thing that's a hilarious moment though. But it's so out of place in this movie because there's like no comedy in this, like Very, at yeah, all. Yeah, you're right. It's Very so funny. it's 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 a really like it works, but it's jarring because of just how that's, well it works. And there's nothing. I think name another funny moment in this yeah, movie. Well, you're you're right. I think that's one of the only moments where you have actual surface level comedy everything else i think is very dry you know with harrison ford showing up it's very dry comedy um with 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 agent k uh tommy lee jones uh performing some of his uh you know stuff with say dave batista or his his uh stuff with the doctor in the bone sequence it's all very dry wit it's only really that moment that i can think of with robin wright getting her head dropped on the desk that is straight comedy yeah, yeah. Uh, it's again a problem with it though, but it's kind of jarring in the context of the movie because it doesn't sure, really fit sure. in. Um, but I guess that happens even with every time Love kills somebody. Like all of her kills are somewhat comical. Like she yeah. takes the what's this guy in Coco? She kind of snaps in the back of the head. And he yeah, the guy from the Dark Knight. Yeah, she punches him so hard his like eyes start to bleed. <laughs> yeah, she breaks his neck. She punches his neck from the back. And yep, I guess that's yep. meant to be comical in a very dark, cynical sort of way. Mm-hmm. And then you have her wiping out all the bums in the wasteland with the drones with her. Yeah, with her. when she's I, getting her nail, her nails done, fire. Move yeah, to the 30 degrees of that fire. I yep. guess that's maybe what I'm missing. Maybe it's not jarring. Maybe it's the fact that it is in character. That all of her deaths have this sort like this weird sort of like dark humor to them. Well, like I, I yeah, dark dark or dry humor is exactly what I would call it because Mac- it is macabre? so matter Maybe it is so matter of factly. It was uh, is what I was going to say. She never kills anybody with any suspense. It always just happens. Like once think, she's done with them, it happens. But I think that's the thing with her at the very end, though. That like when she when she's trying to kill Ryan Gosling, she's delighting in it. Oh yeah, that I and that. Th- I think, I think that's because she sees him as a match. Like but I think that's because she. Well, I think that's part of the element with her too. Is that it's the first time she. That's why she's interested in him so early on. In that it's probably the only ah. person she sees as an equal. A competition, almost. Because like we get yes. in that end scene when they're fighting in the waves. She's like, I'm better than you. Yeah, I think that's the attraction. I think the attraction is that he's somebody of her same caliber. Mm-hmm. And, and she and again, she, she, it's a point. She is helping him. Like She does save his life during that moment when they shoot him out of the sky. Oh, of course, because she needs him, like she says, do your fucking job. Find the girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but going going back to the part where I, probably my favorite moment in this entire movie okay. is the part where they shoot him out of the sky. Oh, I, when when he's flying over San Diego and the yes. uh, the airfields. Yep. And they shoot him out of the sky. And I love that it's all these bums with like no technology. And yet one of them has like this weird sort of just projectile cannon and is able to no scope a flying vehicle. This on fake an overca- EMP, yeah. Yes. 
You know, it's not even a fake EMP. It's a poor man's EMP. Yeah, it that's legit- a better way to say it because it turns off all his electronics for like 35 seconds. Well, what it is is that <laughs> just enough ha- to make him crash. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me if I'm wrong, though, but it's essentially just it's a harpoon with a kite and the lightning strikes it, right? Yeah, it's it's the skyhook from Dark Knight uh, from the Dark Knight. You know, when the plane has to get uh, shot with the flare gun that ha- puts a balloon up in the sky so they know where to land or, or to pick up the guy from Chang out of China. But that's, a, but that's the yeah. thing, though. But in the lightning, again, it's a definition of there's no electronics with it. It's legit yep. just a weather vane yep, they have, that's they able have to conduct electricity. and a weather vane. That's a good way to put it, a weather vane. Absolutely. And it's and great that, because he no-scopes it, which I find I, fascinating. I will give you that. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie because they established that we got this weird sex hologram Anna de Armas, and she can go wherever she wants because Ryan Gosling bought this emanator. And then the machine, his ship goes down, and she loses functionality because they got struck by lightning. And I'm like, I'm like okay, you're doing something interesting with the rules you've established. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. I, I okay, yeah, I can see that. I, I can't agree. Yeah, I I, I, yeah when, when Anna De Armas was glitching out in the passenger seat and outside the window, I was all for that. Um, yeah, because okay, I again, I think I've, I mentioned this also in our Sicario episode. Uh-oh. Was I love it when characters are good at what they do, and especially yes. like in a moment of crisis or like when they're yep. being tested. And I love that his ship is going down. Like you, and you, yeah, they do communicate the severity of this by having the the joy hologram disappear. And think about it, they could have very easily in that moment done the normie simpleton thing of putting a warning of it's like pull up, pull up, pull oh, up. Sure. We, and they didn't. They, it's all silent, and we see him. He like sits there, what engages some sort of like emergency brake as he pumps mm-hmm. it, and then slowly glides it down so the thing doesn't just face plant ninety degrees into the gr- into the ground. Yep. And and this is the part of the movie that I loved so much. I can still remember in the theater enjoying it as I was watching it. I love that when he gets out of his little police spinner and like a couple of the bums approach it and they start to attack him. I love that he legit just picks one of them up, breaks their back over his knee, pulls oh. his his gun out and just shoots, just starts what's the word? Headshotting each of them as fast as he can yes. until he realizes that he's overwhelmed. And then at that moment again, love takes over mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh It's over. I honestly honestly watched that scene when he gets out and he breaks the dude's back, and I was like, wow, this is what the Bane scene should have been in Dark Knight Rises. Because we spend, if you remember Dark Knight Rises, it's like fucking 16 edits and three minutes just to get Batman to fall onto Bane's knee. And I'm like, you never needed that. You just needed it to happen. And that's yeah, what he, Ryan Gosling does. I, I just, well, yeah, fuck, well, fuck 100%, book connotations. 100%, 100% disagree on a filmmaking level as to why the Dark Knight Rises thing doesn't work. We're not getting into it. Just putting it out okay. there. 100% disagree. Okay, fair, fair. Tune in next week. Next, no, no. That, month. Rob, unless, Tune in I, next month. <laughs> Rob, I think, I, I, I think we can both agree we are never covering the Dark Knight Rises on this podcast. I think uh, we can, both, unless we unless we do a Christopher uh, Nolan series, which I don't think we'll ever do. And if we do, we will be if skipping we did, the Batman we would movies. Skip those. We would just do Prestige, Insomnia, Memento. Yeah, yeah, Inception, <laughs> Interstellar for a hundred times. Tenet. Oh, I don't want it to be delayed. 
I want to see that so badly right well, now. Too, I'm sorry. I know I should have. I, I as soon as I said that, I knew I shouldn't have mentioned that because we're we're both very upset that that's going to get delayed. Um. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. But but no. But I think uh, I think the audience gets what we're saying at least without going into it any further. Yes. Um. Yeah. But no. I. That's like that. That moment in the film when he's picking everybody off like that. Well, I heard this. When I read the description of Blade Runner for the first time in like 2007. That's and I know that's stupid to want from this. Is you want like that visceral it's action? What you picture? It's what you but envision. But that's your picture. You picture a Blade. When you read a story of movies called Oh, it's called Blade Runner. What's it about? It's about a, a group of detectives that hunt defective and on the run robots mm-hmm. and that's and then you read like oh like not robots replicants and then you read what replicants are like wow that's a great concept and that's what you imagine and instead you get the 1982 film of just people standing still under neon lights for two hours uh, and have like, you ever felt uh, exposed yep. or used by the uh gathering of performance artists here what do you mean i don't know i'm just making a nasally voice for no reason that makes no point in the plot in the movie <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Um, I guess speaking of that, we have to transition to the last like major character of the film we haven't talked about. Good old uh, Han Solo. Good old Harrison Ford. Okay, so uh, Zach, before we talk about Harrison Ford, um, do you have a piece of cheese about you? I would, I would really like a piece of cheese. I, I have longed for a piece of oh, cheese Jesus for a long Christ. time. Toasted, toasted. Mightn't happen ever. Piece of cheese about you now. Would you want? Treasure Island. He reads. That's good. Me too. How much else to do around here at night anymore? Huh. Many is the night I dream of cheese. Toasted. Mostly. Do you have a piece of cheese? <laughs> do you have a piece of cheese about you? Fucking- Treasure Planet? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess I do have to say, like, one, I do have a legitimate note verbatim. Holy shit, it takes Harrison Ford an hour and 45 minutes to show up in this movie. But at the same time, th- this might be my favorite Harrison Ford performance ever. <laughs> like, I actually really like him in this movie because, especially because, one, yes, he's Harrison Ford. He's doing the same, st- the same shtick he always has. But he's actually going into it. He's sitting there with Ryan Gosling go, I don't want to see my fucking kid. Fuck my kid. Even if I could see my kid, what the fuck's the point? Fuck my kid. And I'm like, this is great. This is emotional detachment that I'm dying for in movies. (laughs) And uh, do you have a piece of cheese? (laughs) So I I, honestly, I wanted to jump this off with saying I, I really liked Harrison Ford in his intro in the Vegas scenes in this movie. I did not really like him in the Jared Leto scene and later on where he's just a fucking MacGuffin almost. Um, but his intro scene with the with the Las Vegas stuff, with him, his dialogue, with the cheese, with the dog, like 
Is the dog real? Who fucking cares, you know? And I love that stuff. I this was one of another one of my favorite parts of the movie, Harrison Ford. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 funny. Everyone tried to give Harrison Ford a lot more credit for acting like he didn't want to be there after the Force Awakens. And yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I kind of disagree with you that like it works in this, but like it kind of works. We don't know what Deckard's been up to for how many years, but it's just Harrison Ford doesn't want to be there. Like I, I think his that, outfit in this it... is legitimately a gray T-shirt. That oh, is legit his costume. A, yeah, he has a T-shirt and jeans on, right? And the, yes, but I, I think that's where it works. Is that you know, yes, Deckard, in terms of the context of this movie of this timeline, he's been in hiding for what you know, twenty, twenty-five years. He he would be disenfranchised. He wouldn't care. He wouldn't know how to talk to other replicants or humans or beings and i think this is the just one like the real harrison ford exactly that's what i'm saying it, it it's, <laughs> it's like it's like it all comes together to work fantastically and i have to say you know probably my second favorite scene in the movie the first being the um baseline test cells interlinked cells interlinked that my second favorite scene in the movie is harrison ford goes do you want some whiskey he pours whiskey <laughs> for ryan gosling he pours whiskey for himself and then he straight pours whiskey on the floor, not into a bowl, but just for the dog. Fucking amazing. And do you remember, like, and do, and do you remember do you remember the exchange that happens after that? Is is that when they talk about uh is it real or is that when they talk about yes, the yes, child? Yes. Okay, no. that's when they talk about is it real? Is it and Ryan Gosling's like, Oh, you got a dog, is it real? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> ask it, right? Ask him ask him yourself. Like and and that it doesn't matter. Like, that's that's the best part. Yes. I think that's but that's the thing though is that like I remember like obviously we've talked about like Ridley Scott's thing with Deckard being a replicant, and it's never really even like addressed in this. Well, I w- I do want to talk about the Jared blatantly Leto addressed, scene blatantly addressed. Um, but but yeah, in in his introduction scene, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that Deckard has survived, regardless of his status as a human or replicant. He survived in isolation and hiding and, and, you know, exile for this long that it doesn't matter because this was the one point of the movie where I'm like, wow, they they took something from the first Blade Runner and made it matter. Because you remember in that first Blade Runner, which we also get a clip of in this movie, when he meets up with Rachel, they see the owl and Deckard says, is it real or is it fake? And she's like, it's fake. And he's like, it must be very expensive. And now we get a different animal that Deckard's been with. And Ryan Gosling says, is it real? And he goes, I don't know. Ask him yourself. That, that's a, I'm, I'm upset that it took two movies and only six seconds out of each movie. But that's what I want out of a character arc. To go from asking the question to not caring about the answer. That's beautiful to me. Yeah. Yeah, again, you're, you're not wrong there. I, I cannot push back upon that. Oh yeah, Harris Harrison Ford was great, and I think if you don't have anything to say about the Las Vegas scene, other than I mean, do we want to comment on how I did really love their fight scene with the the hologram Elvis and the dancers cutting in and pretty, out? That was pretty cool, actually. That I really, really I dug really that. Cool. I really liked that because that was that was the first time in this entire movie where I was kind of I felt tense because it was cutting from silence to lar- large grandiose noises on the drop of a hat and it was really unnerving and I loved it. But I do want to talk about, as we talked about last week, I asked you, Zach, 
in Blade Runner 2049, do we get, I said to you last week, do we get a definitive answer on whether or not Deckard is a replicant? And you said to me, no, they only hinted it. And I wanted to know if the scene that you were thinking of when I asked you this last week, uh, is this the Jared Leto scene that you were thinking of? Because as far as I'm concerned, we get a scene in this movie where Jared Leto subtly implies that Harrison Ford was also a replicant created by Tyrell so that him and Rachel would fall in love and make a replicant baby. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, there's other so, subtle things, too, you can pull from from other parts of the movie. This was the only that's... one I picked up on, and I actually really liked that. I was surprised by how much I liked that. Because even though I think it's established, I hated the fact that this movie was about can robots have babies. I loved the idea that they, they never fleshed it out, which is my issue with it. But they started the seeds of, well, if they can, this was all by design. Because if if, if this movie more steadfastly took the position that Tyrell and the Tyrell Corporation from the first movie was the whole time working on replicant reproduction and that Harrison Ford and Sean Young were the Adam and Eve of replicant reproduction, if this movie had owned that, I would have been way more on board with it because it would have tied in to those religious motifs that we talked about last week. But they kept it subtle. They kept it vague. They kept the whole mystery of Ryan Gosling being the main thing. And that's why it didn't work for me. But I did want to highlight that scene and get your thoughts. What do you think? Is is this just a movie magic subtle moment? Or do you think that this could be somewhere that the franchise goes from here on out if it ever continues? Uh, It depends on what Ridley Scott's involvement is. Well, Ridley Scott's never going to die. I think we established that last week. Uh, he is he is a replicant. <laughs> He's an engineer from Prometheus. <laughs> He's only going to die if he gets a, a, a face hugger on his face. <laughs> but but no, I, I mean, honestly, like I said, I, I really love this scene because it was getting at the subtle motifs of what we talked about last week with Blade Runner. And I wanted more of it. I didn't want this subtle nonsense because I guess just to go further with this, the movie doesn't own it. The movie is about, wow, there's a replicant child, but the movie never owns it. The movie never no, said, I agree. I agree. is it yeah. two replicants that make a baby? Is it a replicant and a human? Is it a replicant and a human, but the replicant has human parts? They never flesh it out. And that's as big of a problem to me with inconsistency as leaving it vague. Because I I just can't get behind that. Uh, again, I think it. Again, I think a lot of that Jared Leto stuff was seeding going forward. Considering sure. that, considering that, I think Harrison Ford is another one of these people that is the franchise big big villain, like we said. Mm-hmm. No, I, I guess I want to ask you what what is you know without the throw away all the all the nonsense. Put your Rob hat on for a second, Zach. What do you think? Do you do you think that two replicants can have a baby? Is that what Tyrell was going for? Or was this the Immaculate Conception? A miracle, as Dave Bautista says. I, in the context of the movie, you have to, again, I don't think that, uh, you're asking me in the context of the movie or is it like in the production of these movies? I'm asking you from your deepest heart of hearts, what do you believe? I'm asking you on on a literal human opinion, Zach. What do you think? What? Yeah. (laughs) 
that might be an acceptable answer. Rob goes, what do you think in your deepest heart of hearts? And Zach goes, I don't like that. <laughs> no, that, that's an acceptable answer. But, you know, that's kind of where this movie left me with the vagueness of this idea, especially because we haven't even talked about it. You know, that's kind of what Ryan Gosling, when he's left for dead by the, the Wallace Corporation now, by love, he gets rescued by the replicant rebellion people. And they're like, you need to work with us. We're going to rise up and, and gain status because our people have had a child. And I'm sitting there like, it's never been established that your people had a child. Them saying they're their own masters because two replicants can have a child is very different from them saying we have a place in humanity because a replicant and a human can have a child. There's a huge difference in me or to me in that aspect. And, and the movie never makes that clear. I can't get on the side of the replicants and rebelling because it's never made clear. Does it take one of each species or is it just the replicants? That's an important distinction. <sighs> I, I, okay, this is really an unsatisfying answer, but that part of the story never interests me. I, I don't care. That, Welcome never, to I've, cinema. <laughs> I've never been. I've no, never, I hear I've, you. Of all times I've watched this film, I've never been vested in that part of the plot. But that, I, that, I, I agree. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. I am my, when I watch this film, I am invested in the Officer K Joe plot. I do not care about how this hybrid child was created. Well, doesn't that tie into his decision to save Harrison Ford at the end, whether or not he thinks that it's two replicants or a human and a replicant? Because the leader of the replicants tells him you need to kill Deckard because Deckard will give him what he wants. And we don't want that. We want to have our own efficacy as replicants because they believe, as far as I took it, that it was two replicants. But if it wasn't two replicants, their ideology falls apart, and they are as the same as humans. We get that line from Dylan Roof Terminator, I think. We, if, if two replicants can have a baby, they're more human than human. And I agree with them. They, if, if two replicants can have an offspring and procreate, boom, they have evolved past humanity because they're stronger, they're smarter, they're faster, period. And humans have done a disservice to their species by creating them. But if it takes one human and one replicant to reproduce, they're on equal footing. The entire aspect of the rebellion falls apart with that idea. But that's the part of this movie that I don't care about. And I think, again, it's, it's more of a subplot. That's the movie! That's, no, that's, that's literally not, no. the entire movie! It's about that's, robots having babies! I know it is, but that's not the part that I care about, though. I oh. care about the plot. The part of the movie I care about is Joe's <sighs> agency. Joe's agency is what I care about. Well, he has he ha he has no agency. He does at the very end, working towards his no. thought of being that child. No, but uh, no, but at that point though, this is a movie that for the first three quarters or even eighty percent, he never thinks he's that offspring. He has no efficacy. I. But at that point though, he has his epiphany because as he's standing there looking at the naked lady advertisement, and he realizes that everything he's thought about for the last couple of days is a sham. Because well, prior, but to, that only comes after he meets the rebellion, which gives him that motivation. It's not motivation. I think it's realization. Mm. 
he comes to the realization that everything, all the delusions of, like, he finally realizes that it's all been delusions of grandeur, and all he's wanted out of this is agency. Because prior to this, he just was going through the motions. He sat there, did all this stuff, and he got finally, yep, <laughs> yes, he got his bonus, and he got the emanator. Um, but that's the thing is that he has his moment of agency. He's fulfilled. He doesn't have to be part of this grand elaborate scheme when it comes to the fate of mankind and replicant kind. He got to make a choice. And that was he was his thing about it. He had to he's been told by both everybody, whether it be the uh, what's her name? Robin Wright. Whether it be by the replicant revolution lady what, and kind of low key through love you have to kill Deckard and yet he makes the choice that you don't have to be the what's the word the prodigal daughter to have this sort of impact having the ability or make choice having the agency to make choices that allows Deckard to reunite with his daughter that's just as powerful as, as being the the prodigal daughter but he but he's doing that at the end for the rebellion. No, because, he's not. No, the yes, rebellion. No, no, the well, rebellion. He meets tells Harrison him to, Ford. No, he meets no, Harrison well, Ford. Well, 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 oh my Re- God! No, the, you're wrong, no, Zach. no, no. The revolutionary replicant lady tells him to do what to Deckard. Kill Deckard. And what? Okay, and I think it's fair to assume that the woman who's the head of the revolution speaks for the revolution, right? Yes, but she wants him to kill Deckard because he she thinks. Well, no, because the, the only reason the revolution lady wants him to kill Deckard is because she thinks Deckard will lead Wallace to the replicant child. And that's not the case. That's and that's what literally happened. But that's literally what happens at the end no, of the movie. No, he leads Deckard to the child. He doesn't lead Wallace. Like, Deckard has no, the but, moment but the of reason refusing why- Wallace. I, I know Deckard refuses because Deckard's Deckard doesn't matter in this movie. He's there for fan service. But it comes back <laughs> yes. But the point being that the replicant lady, how I interpret it, is that she wants Deckard killed. Because think about it. She Deckard is gonna ruin her plan. Because if De- if if Wallace is ever able to get a hold of Deckard, like we've said, the whole thing falls apart for whatever reason. Obviously, Deckard, whether he's a replicant or a human being, there's something unique about him that was able to. Even I think Wallace says it. He's able to unlock. He's the the puzzle. He has the he has the lock, and you're the key. Yes, yes. Deckard is the key to this, regardless of whether he's a replicant. That's why I mean that. Like, it doesn't matter whether he's a replicant or not. It, he he has the ability. It doesn't matter how he got there. He has the ability. But the reason why replicant lady think about it, replicant lady probably would have killed Deckard too if it weren't for the fact that she never knew where he was. Mm-hmm. Think about having him around is a liability, and by Joe rejecting everybody who wants him to wipe out this lineage. Think about it, everybody wants this entire lineage to be wiped out every single character except for wallace because for his own selfish beings and he even says that like he's gonna tor- yes for study he's gonna he's gonna kill deckard in order to study him and joe has the agency after he has his epiphany of his realizing that his illusions of grandeur are delusional that he realizes that he does have a choice and I think that's where the power of this movie is. And even if, and that's what happens. Joe dies at the very end of the movie on the steps being fulfilled. He has lived a more fulfilling life than pretty much any other human that we've seen in this film ever could. Think of all the human characters that die in this film. None of them have a death, even a fraction as fulfilling as Joe does by his conclusion. 
That that's true, but I think that's where I disagree with you because K's or Joe's, whatever the hell you want to call him, Ryan Gosling, his his final My action. My boyfriend. Yes, your boyfriend. He he realizes the fault of the rebellion. They don't need to. He realizes they don't need to kill Deckard. They need to give. He needs to give that humanity of Deckard to the replicant yes. child. Yes. To lead the rebellion. Yes. And that, that exact, that's what I'm saying. I, but, that- I, but yeah, okay. I, okay. I agree with you, but I don't know how far I'm agreeing with you. I, I agree think, yeah. with you. The, I agree with you to the initial step. <laughs> that should be the cinematic quote. I agree with you, but I don't know how far. <laughs> I don't, I agree with you, but I don't know the extent. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I, again, I think Joe's overall thing by the end, his, arc of the film is going from a person that's just following orders to a person that has agency. He does yeah, he does get agency and it's agency to benefit making, the, okay, the, the fine. motives that's, that have okay. been put forward for. I, yeah. But could, okay, but with any of us though, we, we can have agency in any given moment and chances are whatever decisions we make from that agency will benefit somebody else. The point is he's making the decision. He's no longer following orders and that's the point I'm getting at. I don't, I don't care who's benefiting from his decisions. It's I, the fact that he's, that, he's yeah. making the decision. because He's given an explicit order to kill Deckard and he chooses nothing. He could have very easily when he was blowing all those spinners out of the sky, he could have blown that one out and been like, Okay, done. He's deliberately making a choice to save Deckard because he's making that decision is his and he's not doing it on behalf of anybody anymore. And I think that's the whole thing when it comes back to humans versus replicant rights is the fact that the replicants don't want or the or at least in the context of Joe as an individual isolated case, he just wants the agency to do like anybody else wants. He does not want agency to lead a rebellion. He doesn't want agency to murder people. He just wants to make the best like anybody else would want to as any human would want. He wants yeah. to make a decision that he sees best fit without regard for the consequences. He wants to make a decision that he fails, that he thinks will best influence society, not what somebody else thinks. I agree with you there, but I cannot see beyond that. This movie is not just about him. When he makes these decisions, it is benefiting. I don't. That's that's my issue. Is because that's the the point to me. The point of this movie is not what Ryan Gosling does as a replicant. The point of me of this movie for me is the waves that it has on this robot versus human war. Absolutely, and, th- and that depends on how what sort of context you want to view the movie on. Uh, micro Robots level are bad. Or That's the context. Micro level or macro level. If you want to view it on the micro level, you take Zach's path. If you want to view Robots it on the macro bad. level, you view it on the rock. We should kill all robots while we have the chance. <laughs> Fucking goddamn. Raffy Cassidy should be shot in the face. <laughs> <laughs> no, you make you make great points about this, Zach, and and I see where you're coming from. I think you put it exactly right when we say macro versus micro, because the movie can be viewed in both ways. And and hell, you're not wrong. When I watched this, I definitely had that kind of connection to Ryan Gosling on the micro level, but I I I refuse to align myself with artificial intelligence ever. Period. I- that's fine. That's fine. I'm using him as an audience vessel. That's sure, how I sure. see him. Sure. Absolutely. I, He's I the guess, avatar for the viewer. I, I agree with you. And I guess this led me into something that I did want to ask you about now that we're on that topic is that um, I found in my research that there's actually contention between whether or not Ryan Gosling dies at the end of this. Yeah, it's, it's ambiguous. That's it's, fine. No, it's fucking obvious that he dies. 
because they play the same theme when Rutger Hauer dies. Oh, really? Right? Okay, yeah. It's yeah. the same exact musical cue. Like, what? Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Like, the only thing I was waiting for Ryan Gosling to lay down in the snow and the overhead shot zooms in on his face when he's all bloody and he goes, man, I wish I went to space. <laughs> <laughs> I So I wanted to get your opinion. Do you think he dies? Because I totally think he does. I think it's all up to how well I, I think he dies because I can't imagine Ryan Gosling doing a sequel. I, that doesn't seem like him to do this. I, th I think getting him on board for this probably, I don't, probably was a little bit of a challenge, mm -hmm. but Plus, Ryan Gosling's box office poison, too. That's something that has to always be addressed. <laughs> Mass audiences don't like him. Yeah. Um, unless he's doing something a little bit outside of his wheelhouse. They, again, like I think La La Land is the most successful film he's ever been in. And I think that's very much because it was it's it's a very effervescent film with Emma, Emma Stone. Because there's dancing. <laughs> dancing. And I love La La Land. So, I love dancing. La La Land so much. <laughs> I don't like. I'm trying to think of Ryan Gosling movies. I don't like. I don't like him when he's know. an ensemble. I don't like Crazy ever... Stupid Love. I don't like him in Gangster Squad. I go wrong. He's handsome the, as hell in Gangster Squad. The, I love him. Did, in that did we ever talk? About, it would have been off mic, but we, did we ever talk about the Nice Guys with him and Russell Crowe? I did not like. I like again. I like Ryan Gosling, but I don't like him in that movie. I don't. I don't like that okay. movie. I've never seen that one. I know it's Shane Black, which I've been interested in, um, but I've never seen it. I have a copy of it. I need to watch it still. But okay, okay. 
Rob, you know what movie I do love of Ryan Gosling's? Drive. Drive. Oh, yeah. Where do you want your groceries? Where Real. Do you your... <laughs> Where do you want your groceries, Dr. Chalice? <laughs> I'm trying to think. What movies have his... Okay, I've never seen The Notebook. Never seen Remember the Titans. Yep, never. Me too. Never seen those. I like. I remember liking Blue Valentine. Ooh, I don't. I don't even. Think you're, not, I know that. you're not gonna like that. Um, <laughs> I don't that's, like. That's the best when Zach says you're not gonna like it and doesn't describe any else of the not, movie you're, to Rob. You're, you're not that's when. Like that. That's when you really know Zach knows me as a person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're not gonna I've like never, that movie. I've never you're not seen gonna like a, that movie. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl. I've heard of that, but I've never I've seen it. I've heard of that. Never seen it. Fracture, heard of that. Half Nelson, heard of that. Um, I don't like Crazy Stupid Love. I like. I, I used to love The Ides of March. I really liked that movie. No, um, Place Beyond Place Beyond yeah. the Pines is fantastic. That's where I was going to go next. I've never seen that. Also. You haven't seen that? No, never. You'd, you'd like. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, you'd like portions of that. You would yeah, like portions of that movie. Gangster Squad. I know you and I. I think you and I, Zach, have talked about Only God Forgives. Yeah, I love. I, that's like, every. Yeah, I love. Every time I watch it, I love that movie. The, one of the winding refin movies I've never seen, which I got to check out. Um, oh, I, I did see The Big Short. Um, yeah, he's good in that. He's good in that. That was, you know, that whole movie was kind of eh. I thought. Um, I I love. Okay, as Rob knows, one of my favorite lines in any movies is. I'm Jack to the tits. I, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> he's pretty good in that. He's pretty good in that. Um, that's one of the better ensemble movies with him. I've never seen his directorial debut with Lost River, which I think stars yep. Matt Smith. I've never seen that. I, uh, I think somebody told me about that, and I was like, do you mean Mystic River with Sean Penn and, <laughs> and uh, Tim Robbins? And they were like, no, no. And I was like, well, what's this about? And they're like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking to me about that, this that, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. sounds about right. I'm looking at the poster right now And I'm actually loving it <laughs> Oh yeah, there's Song to Song The Terrence Malick film, I forgot about that Never seen that Oh yeah, experimental romantic drama Ooh, no, And I'm I didn't see that. I didn't see First Man either Oh man, Rob, we got We have a Terrence Malick film Starring Ryan Gosling, Michael Fassbender Natalie Portman and Rooney Mara Oh god and Oh, ooh, it's Terrence. Oh, ooh. Well, well, well. You know, you. I think we have to discuss now that we're talking about Ryan Gosling, his greatest role of all time, which we no. discussed We've, on yes, this yes, podcast. Yeah. Goosebumps. Stupid Take camera. Jesus die. Stupid camera movie. Best role ever with the evil camera. I, I would, I would literally pay Ryan Gosling just to recreate that. Like he plays the same kid role, but now all grown up. That would Rob, be amazing. Maybe, Rob, maybe one day you can become an SNL writer and you can invite him on. <laughs> I don't want it for SNL. I want it just for us. <laughs> I want it like I want I literally want Ryan Gosling in chains in my backyard performing Say Cheese and Die. <laughs> in, the la- in the last movie he God, he hasn't made a movie in almost two years. The last movie he did was First Man. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I couldn't even suffer I never that. Saw. Did you see I, First Man? I tried watching. I got to the first like half an hour, and I'm like, life is too short for this. Mm-hmm. Which is weird, considering that, like everybody involved, I like. Like it's directed by Damien Chazelle. It's got a great cast. Just couldn't get on board with it. He's also I, he's, I, not, he's also not I, he's also not heartthrob in that movie. He's very uh, he's, he's 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 not meant to be pretty in that movie. And I don't like. I that. think I I think I told Zach that uh, the way I found out about First Man was when I was. Um, 
spending some time in Washington, D.C. I had to go there for a conference for work uh, back when this movie was coming out in 2018. And I was kind of like hanging around D.C. in the suburbs where my hotel was. And I passed by a movie theater and I saw that on the marquee they were playing First Man. And the immediate thought I had was this was about a woman president but it was focused on her husband. So he was the first man instead of the first lady. And then I like looked into it and it was about Neil Armstrong. And I went, either I'm really progressive or really not progressive. Because, because if the movie was about the first female president, that would be very progressive. But I thought the movie was going to focus on her husband. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird time in Rob's life when he had to go to conferences because his advisor broke his hip. <laughs> mm. Mm. I, I had to travel the country to speak at conferences because a dude fell off his bike. <laughs> the more you know, folks, the more you know. Oh, yeah. So, Goosebumps, uh, you want to talk about Say Cheese and Die real quick? No, no, Greg no. Banks? No, this, this uh, is... You want me How to do you know that? Step? How do you know the top of your How head? How do I not know that, Zach? Let me... Zach, pose up. I'm about to take a picture with the evil camera. Okay, you think you're going to turn into Ryan Gosling? You're not. I, I can only hope. <laughs> I can only hope. <laughs> yeah, he's Greg Banks. It was the Banks family. Okay. All right, Rob. Unless you have read the book. Say- I've read the book tons oh of times. Enough, I've seen enough, 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 enough. Two okay, and a half so, hour long recording. Uh, so, uh, the Goosebumps. Uh, okay, Rob. <laughs> anything else about this movie? Are we ready to ask our questions? I, I think I have one thing left that I wanted to bring up that we did not get uh, to bring up earlier. And I didn't know where to bring it up. Um, but as I said already, this movie is way too long for me at two, two hours, 45. There was a moment in this film where I thought it should have ended. And I thought it would have been a fantastically hilarious ending at one hour, 45 minutes into it is when Ryan Gosling shows up at Harrison Ford's like Las Vegas bunker or hotel room or hotel building, whatever you want to call it. And Ryan Gosling, you know, plays the piano Harrison Ford comes out. He does his cheese monologue. And there's a scene where Harrison Ford realizes that Ryan Gosling is police and he shoots him. And Ryan Gosling falls over the ledge of the banister and uh, Harrison Ford looks over and he's not there and the rest of the movie continues. You remember the scene I'm talking about, Zach? Of course, Rob. So I was I was hoping in my heart of hearts that this scene played out the exact same way where Harrison Ford does his cheese monologue. He shoots Ryan Gosling. He looks over the banister and we see Ryan Gosling at the bottom of the floor with a bullet hole through his head dead. It cuts to Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford looks directly at the camera and goes, I still got it. And the movie ends. (laughs) That is what I wanted. I wanted this movie at that point to be Harrison Ford is still a blade runner no matter what happens, and it would have saved me a goddamn hour of my life. Well, to be fair, 50 minutes, because the credits of this movie are like nine minutes long. So, you know, it's not really 2.45. But that was the last thing I wanted to mention that I was hoping in my heart of hearts that Harrison Ford would kill Ryan Gosling and the movie would end. (laughs) Yeah, that's not good. That didn't happen. That would have been so funny, I think. I would have laughed my ass off. But other than that, I think that was it, Zach. Uh, I guess one movie, uh, sorry, one note I didn't mention. Uh, I quote, this movie is so long. Uh, another note that I have is uh, Giant Naked Lady. I think I mentioned that already, but I wanted to mention it again. 
Uh, but other than that, I think I'm ready for our questions, Zach. All right, Rob. I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> all right, Cinemati. I'm going to see a late night movie. No, you'll fall asleep. No way. You'll you'll pass out during this. Um, Cinemati. I'm kind of leaning toward a no. I want to hear what Rob has to say. You know, it's not going to have any sort of direct influence. Cause maybe he'll put me in a better mindset either way. Um, but yeah, late night, no. I'm curious what you have to say about Cinemati. I'm going to agree with you with late night. I say no, it's way too long. The, this, just, this is not going to give us, uh, anybody the conversation I think they want. I don't think this is going to give anybody any, you know, anything to, to anchor on or go off of for late night. So I'm going no. For Cinemodities, I think I'm going to disappoint you, Zach. I have one word written next to Cinemodities. No wow. explanation. Just the word in all caps. All two letters are in caps. No. <laughs> this this is... Well, yeah, well yes, it's a, it's a sci-fi movie. It's got some beauty to it. This is... There's, I, uh, there's nothing to this to me that makes me think it's really worth seeing as a cinematic oddity and it, it's just you know something i kind of am am underwhelmed by i think overall and you know when i when i think of you know just to put in perspective i think something i was really coming at this for cinemodities was the denis villeneuve take on it like i said at the start i think denis villeneuve for me is just a fluke he made a great movie in enemy everything else been has either been offensive or on par you know and, and look for the Cinemodis episode of Dune coming later this well, year. Well, that that is that's a guarantee. We will have to discuss that whenever it gets released because of coronavirus. And uh, where are my feelings? If that line is not in that movie, I'm gonna throw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> like you're gonna hear me in my recording in the theater screaming at the movie <laughs> if that line is not in that movie. But no, so Cinemodities, I'm, I have to go, no, there was nothing that made this stand out to me as anything unique, anything special, anything, well, sure, of, of course, I mean, cinematography, it's beautiful, like I said, but other than that, it's it's a slow slog of of getting me to, you know, fall back on my usual opinions of things, and while, yes, I love when you give me your opinions, it makes me think about this more, and maybe I'll have some new thoughts the next time I watch it, but after this first talk, and this first viewing that it's no, it's, it's just, I, I guess the best way to put it is it is a sequel. It's a sequel and there's nothing that makes it a cinemodity for me. I'm going to go. Yes. Now, because <laughs> where, where are my feelings? <laughs> it's a yes for me because the first film has been mislabeled a classic by people who don't understand or can't differentiate between quality and nostalgia. True. And this film is able to take a film that's been mislabeled a classic and improve upon that. And think about it. It's a film that, even though you don't like it, it was able to make a, uh, a structure. I'm not, I'm not going to describe the structure. It was able to make a structure on top of the soggiest foundation you can imagine. Marginally. I'll agree with you there. Like I said earlier, I agree with you there. But to me, I feel like this is just the Leaning Tower of Pisa. No, well, they sure, built it on still, marshland. But it's still standing, and that's all that matters. And I'm the little cable that's holding it up. Um, like because that. this this is a like film that. that it's able to do. Think about it. It was able to appease the people who still don't understand nostalgia versus quality. And it was able to make someone like me, who, even though I'm not thrilled with it, enjoy it. 
it was able to do, and that's very hard to do. Go back to a, like a dusty property mm. and make it work for the old generation and the new generation. It deserves, and considering how rare that is, that deserves credit. And that's, that's why I'm giving point. you the cinematic. I'll title. give, I'll give you, I'll give you my understanding for that, Zach. Absolutely. Thank you. But Thank I think you. at the same time, I want to ask you: uh, Is this movie your replicant Blade Runner? Is this your replicant baby? <laughs> 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 this is the predecessor to Terminator Dark Fate. Oh God! Mackenzie okay. Davis was like reading the script for this and like, I got it, I got it. Dylan Roof, Terminator. <laughs> uh, did we ever explain? Did we ever? We never explained that on this podcast. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I wrote the note, but I'm realizing now we just talked about it for two hours, and I said Dylan Roof Terminator more than more than I can remember. And we—I don't think that was said here. It was said on Knights of Vader. Yes, maybe, maybe when you're editing this, you can go through it, add a little thing, a little context bubble, explaining it. Hey kids, back when Rob and Zach were thinking about Terminator Dark Fate on this podcast, we ended up doing it on Knights of Vader instead of Cinemodities. During that discussion, Zach was the one to bring up, and Rob and Zanger corroborated that Mackenzie Davis as the Terminator, Terminator in that movie was very much looking like Dylan Roof after he was caught and put in custody. I don't think there's much other to be said than if you go to Google and in one tab type in Mackenzie Roof Terminator Dark Fate and in the other tab you type in Dylan Roof both into Google Images you will see that the resemblance is uncanny. Dylan Roof Terminator. Dylan Roof no. replicant. She doesn't look like Dylan Roof in this movie, though. No, that's she, why, that's no, why she looks. She looks it she's, doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense that we call her that. She's made out to be attractive in this, whereas oh, she's kind, not in kind. Dark Fate. Kind of. Rob, come on. Look at the look at the Dark Fate Mackenzie Davis well, in, compared well, in to the comparison. Bla- compared to the Blade Runner 2049 in compa- Mackenzie in Davis. In comparison. But to me, that's like comparing someone. Like, oh, they're attractive when they're 25 versus when they're not born, you know? These are two completely <laughs> different things. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, yes. Yeah, maybe. I'll have to see with the editing for sure. But I think we're ready for snacks. Right on. Yes. Uh, I didn't have too many. Um, did you have a lot? This was not uh, a food-heavy movie, right? Cheese. Cheese and whiskey. Cheese and, and whiskey, and whatever that stuff that Ryan Gosling's eating at the very beginning, when like they put like the projection of like a hamburger and French fries in front of him. Oh, so oh yes, so so I I did pick up on the cheese, of course. Uh, my snack was um, our waiters were going to carry pieces of cheese on them. So if anybody ever asked, do you have a piece of cheese about you? They would have that piece of cheese. But I like that we can get cheese and whiskey. Uh, if you haven't gathered, uh, from the history of this podcast, uh, Zach is not a big alcoholic. Well, I should should even remove the word big. It's just alcoholic. Dairy and alcohol don't go well together, Zach. No. So I don't know if I feel okay with cheese and whiskey, but if you want it, I'm fine with that. I like the idea better of just having our waitstaff carry around, like, individual slices of cheese. So if Harrison Ford comes up on him going, hey, do you have a piece of cheese about you? They have that piece of cheese to appease him. But I, I do – I did latch on to that, um, that hologram scene with Anna de Armas that you mentioned. 
And I didn't want, I don't want to serve what he was actually eating, which looks like a little bowl of, I don't know, ramen with meat. I, I thought that was like what he was actually eating was a callback to Harrison Ford at the noodle market in the beginning of the original Blade Runner. I I actually want to serve like hologram steak and frites, like steak and fries. Ah. Like I want a hologram dish on our menu. Just I think to we should fuck have, with our customers. I think we should have the apparatus on every table. So that's how we deceive like, people. Oh, like that arm that displays it? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Well, oh my God. You're you're making me think now that this might be something that not only we could have at our restaurant but license to other restaurants. When you sit down for food and you order it, customers get angry because their food takes so long to show up. There would have to be some psychological effect on the appeasement of customers if there's holographic food displayed in front of them, right? We don't know if that's a better thing or a worse thing, but we could test that out. Oh my God. Okay, it's been a while, but I know this is what we need to contact Mark Cuban about. Get some money to test if holographic food satiates or angries customers waiting for their actual food. I love it, Zach. <laughs> so hit up Mark Cuban. I, I know before we recorded, I put a lot of stuff on my notes, uh, action items. This is on you, Zach. Get on that email. I know, what is it? mcuban at gmail.com? <laughs> <laughs> Say, subject line is $10 billion. <laughs> and then the, then the body of the email is, we need it. Bro, <laughs> it's not even spelled M Cuban. It's Mick Ubin. That's how Mick it's pronounced. Mick Ubin. Mick Ubin. Like McGroover. It's Mick Ubin. Mick Ubin. Mick Ubin. Oh, I love it. I love her. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yes. Yeah, I heard that. Oh my God! Why is my Google Home still talking? Oh, okay. I'm glad that was on recording. I didn't say. I'm not going to say it, the, the words to activate my Google Home, but my Google Home just said to me, I could not find any results for MacGruber Ubin. <laughs> God damn, we got the, we got the right, surprise. Right. I have I one other snack than the two that we just uh, overlaid on, and I think it is a, a very, very common one that you would expect for Rob to pitch. Uh, in the first scene, when they are going through Rachel's bones in the uh, LAPD headquarters, and they're talking about how there could have been a baby born to this person before I think they know it's a replicant. The uh, actor Coco, uh, or the character Coco, says, you know, maybe Dave Batista ate it. So where's the kid? You scanned the whole field. Uh, just dirt and worms, no other bodies. Maybe he ate it. <laughs> so I want to harvest baby replicants and eat them because it's been said on this podcast before that rob as much hate as he will get for this in real life and on this podcast oh god okay don't no no don't drag me down with you well no it well do you i mean you know you i don't know how many disclaimers you want to put should be viewed as renewable resources no. oh god no that's and being baby bleeped replicants out. That's, should that's be being, food that's being bleeped out that's being bleeped out i'm gonna have okay, to bleep well, that out folks. let me let me do a second take just to say the snack Baby replicant food plates. Food made out of baby part, replicants. Part of me wants to bleep that out, too. Well, what's wrong with that? They're fucking robots, Zach. They're robots. Baby replicant. I want a baby. Re- I, if I want a baby replicant steak, I should be able to get a baby replicant steak. 
you know, if I want a baby replicant, you know, Sudeved or something, I should be able to get it to happen. You're a monster. This, this is where Zach and I really disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No. This is this is when Zach Zach will have no problem recording two and a half hours of discussion about movies, but then once it gets into the restaurant, Zach is like, okay, uh, maybe I need to take a hit out on this person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's it. The last snack I had was the uh, dish made out of baby replicant. Baby replicant food. <laughs> Keep saying it. it's getting bleeped out every time. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to edit this. It's going to be great. I, I, I'm going to Google after we hang up how to unbleep things. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, that was the last of my snacks, Zach. Uh, there was not too many because this was not a, a food-oriented movie. This was a boring movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to get that one left. Oh, boy. <laughs> so do we want to say, even though we kind of hinted at it earlier, what we're doing next week? Go for it, Rob. Oh, so absolutely. Next week, we are talking about one of Rob's favorite movies of all time. I think Zach enjoys it. I don't know if it's one of his favorite movies. Maybe he wants to chime in. But we are talking about the grand, grand sci-fi horror film, Alien. I can't wait. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I love this movie so much. You love it too, right? I I enjoy Alien. Yeah, I mean, there's no giant naked ladies. There's no ro. There are robots, technically. <laughs> Ian Holm is a robot, technically. Uh, but like I said to Zach before we started to record, this is going to be the first instance of, just as this week was the first instance of Ryan Gosling on this podcast, this is the first instance Next week of Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt. The Tom Skerritt Cinematic Universe. And uh, I think as a, as a little bonus intrinsic to next week's episode, we are going to talk about Season 5, Episode 24 of Law & Order Special Victims Unit, in which Tom Skerritt plays a biased judge. Ooh. So get mm. ready. Get ready for that. Zach is like, I... I'm so turned off of what Rob is saying right yes, now. I can't indeed. even sigh at the notice of special. Indeed. I, uh, I cannot disagree. Anything else you have to say about next week's episode of an alien and where we're going from there? Um, Any ratings for the Paul Bartel movies, maybe? <laughs> do you, do you want to do a rap horn? Do you want to do one of those? <laughs> no, I'm just going to stare at my Ryan Gosling action figure. I'm just so I, happy I, that I bought you mean it. Your, you did. mean your Tommy Lee Jones action figure? Did you know they, for this movie, they made they made Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, and they actually made Jared Leto in love. Did they really make Jared Leto? They did. They did. Wait, does he have the whole, like, glaucoma eyes? The blind yeah, eyes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? And it's not even like in his end costume. It's in the costume from the very beginning where he's like in his like silk pajamas. Oh, the, the robe, like the kimono yeah, type. Yeah. That's fucked. But the love one's pretty cool. Harrison Ford one's just like a love, different. Love, like, is, love is a good character. Absolutely. She's got that. She She's a good actress. I don't, what is it? Sama Hoeks or something like that is the actress yes. that plays love. And she's, she's good. And, you know, you know, this is just this movie that sucks. <laughs> It's not the actors, it's the movie. <laughs> Poor Denis Villeneuve. Poor Denis yeah. Villeneuve. Check out Enemy for the best Denis Villeneuve movie, because that's that a do, goddamn that, do, that doesn't that doesn't begin with the word Sicario. Well, yeah. Well, I, I guess I guess you know 
Number one is Enemy. Number two is Sicario. Number three know, is Blade Runner like, 2049. Like, like walk, walk six miles, and then you get Blade <laughs> Runner 2049, and then go literally to the depths of hell where getting your fucking balls kicked every moment or every day, <laughs> go one step below testicle kicks, and you get Arrival. That, that's my ranking of Denis Villeneuve movies that I've seen so far. Because... Fuck Arrival. I'm sorry. We could, I could, I could spend literally an hour talking to you. And I have talked to Zach about how stupid Arrival is. So the question becomes, I have an idea on how to end this episode, Zach. How are we going to do, Rob? The Frank Sinatra song we get to hear in this movie. One for my okay. baby and one for the road. Because I think that summarizes the theme of this movie perfectly. When Ryan Gosling hears it in uh, Harrison Ford's Las Vegas Getaway. That we should get that, you know, old rendition because it is old Sinatra singing it, very spoken word style. And I think it fits perfectly not only for this movie, but for the end of this podcast in reverse. Because, you know, we finally finished our first half of here's this movie that came out, here's a movie that followed it 30 years later. We got one for my baby and one for the road, one you remember and one you have to deal with, type of thing. What do you think? I'm 100% on board, Rob, but I think we should say, please don't email us asking us for the song. Oh, you want to you wanna go there? <laughs> you want to go there? You want to go there? I guess, yeah, disclaimer. Uh, Rob and Zach cannot make songs available for songs we do not own. That's a fact. That is a legal fact. We believe in fair use when we reference songs. That's it. We have no... Yeah, if you want an N in superiority complex song, email us to fucking death. We will share that with you. Any other song that appears in a movie, we don't have ownership of that. What a novel concept, right? I am a super duper ultra recording. Okay, how much more should I drink before we do this? I feel stressed. <laughs> <laughs> Performance anxiety. Well, well, no, then I'm going to be a rogue replicant. No. Well, he drink drinks. No, he drinks. He drinks during this. Yeah, during the movie, not before his baseline test, right? Uh, who knows what he does? He smells Should garlic make... before his baseline test. <laughs> like, you tell me I have to cook up some garlic real quick? <laughs> it couldn't hurt. Oh, now, this dear. should be the cold open, us dis- <laughs> discussing our cold open. <laughs>